The following podcast may contain adults. The following it may contain it adults. It does not contain it adults. Does not contain adults. <laughs> there are no adults here. <laughs> the following podcast may contain adult language and an abundance of salt. So, so come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. We're talking Die Hard. That was really good, guys. That was really good. Thanks. Teamwork. A good collaboration. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Salty Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, the Salty Nerd. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing the perfection of the Die Hard trilogy. One, two, and three. Die Harder and Die Hard with a Vengeance. So get ready for that because we're going to have a ton of fun. I am joined, as always, by my fantastic panel of nerds, starting with Matthew Kadish, the person who chose these movies. Mm-hmm. You'd be Kaye, Melon Farmer. <laughs> There we go. Wow. All right. That was that was what they used <laughs> instead of MF or uh, in, in the TV edits, if you're old enough to remember that. Was, <laughs> nice. they, he, he called Hans Gruber a melon farmer. Nice. Melon farmer. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm keep that. That's you good. You lint liquor. <laughs> in, in Die Hard 2, it was Mr. Falcon. Nice. Mm. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> that's so dumb. Uh, that's fun, though. I'm also joined by the ambassador of estrogen, Jude. Oh, hello. Sorry. <laughs> my bad. I thought you were going to Vader and gulping my tea. <laughs> hello. Hello. I'm also joined by the uh, barbarian space Viking, Matthew Vader. What's up? Hey. You guys ready to talk about these movies? Yeah. It's going to be cool. I All right, guys. born ready. I'm so happy today. I Aww. am too. <laughs> this is exciting. So, so like, you know, for December, I insisted that we do like a Christmas week and nothing embodies a Christmas movie better and die hard. You are correct, sir. And also, I hate Christmas, so this is the only one that I find acceptable. Uh, <laughs> ah, humbug to you, yes, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Jeez. Alex the Scrooge over here. Come out yep. swinging. I, I am. I hate goodwill towards men and jolly cheer. <laughs> yeah, I'm so distracted. Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, we got a new studio TV, and we're playing Die Hard <laughs> as we're doing the podcast. Alex did not stop Alex watching. Alex and Peter keep just watching the movie instead of huh? participating. Like, <laughs> the following podcast may... And he just, it's, his face drifts off towards the TV. This is a terrible purchase. It's just so good. It's just so good. This All is, right, This guys. is what it was like when we used to film the show yeah. back at your in house because you'd have the big screen on behind you. Yeah. But it was in front of me. <laughs> so it was like, uh, <laughs> shush, I'm watching the show. Yeah. 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 Ooh, ooh, this is a good part. <laughs> no, no, stop talking. This is a good scene. <laughs> stop the podcast for a second. So, wow, look uh, at her 80s hair. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All the shoulder pads were on point. Oh, yeah, this look, movie. look at the height of that hair. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Before that, gets, we, that gets me going. Before we get going, let's listen to a quick sponsor. All right, guys, let's get started by talking about the first Die Hard movie starring Bruce Willis. Before, before we get into it, I hmm? wanted to show you guys this. Oh, is this the, the book that it's? Yes. Okay. Nothing <laughs> Lasts Forever so, by So that um, back, back when it was out of print, I was such a Die Hard fan that I tracked down a uh, out of print copy of Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, which is the book that uh, the Die Hard movie was based on. Which is a sequel, actually. Yes, it's a sequel to uh, the novel the, the Detective, which was also made into a movie starring Frank Sinatra back in the 60s. Oh, boy. Nice. Author of The Detective. Yeah, I, I, I know Vader doesn't read, but I wanted to show you guys. That's pretty cool. What, it's, what it's, is this thing? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a paper Kindle. <laughs> it has like 
No pictures. And it's got in a it. picture on the front. There's no word bubbles. It's smaller. <laughs> it's uh, it's shorter than I expected it to be. That's cool. Yeah, but it's a pretty it, easy read. It, then. It's a quite different um, story from uh, the, the movie. So, like in this book, uh, basically, it's an oil company that uh, has the, the the building in it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's eco terrorists that take it over. Oh, okay. And instead of uh, the detective's estranged wife, it's his daughter. And uh, you know, spoiler alert: uh, at the end of the book, when he like shoots the Hans Gruber character and he falls out the window, the Hans Gruber character takes the daughter with him. And so the daughter dies. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cool, cool book though. But funny enough. So, so like, now. because, um, the, um, oh, what's his name? Because Frank Sinatra was, you know, the star of the detective, which was the first book that was turned into a movie. He was contractually obligated to do the sequel. And by the time this, uh, what became Die Hard was getting going. It was in the eighties, you know, sixties versus eighties. Yeah. So Frank Sinatra was like seventy three years old, but they, they they had to offer him the role of John McClane. <laughs> oh wow! Um, which uh, the character wasn't named John McClane at the time. They actually changed that once Bruce Willis came on board. But uh, F- Frank Sinatra was basically like, "I'm I'm seventy. I can't do an action movie." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, luckily, he turned it down. And uh, eventually, like, we got uh, Bruce Willis. It would have been cool if you did, like, a cameo as, like, one of the police detectives or maybe the FBI agent or something. That would have been neat. You know, have a little little I, Frank Sinatra cameo. I think by movie. that time, Sinatra was just over it. And he's done with it. He's yeah. like, I don't want to do any of your stupid movies. <laughs> Even back when he did movies, like, he just did them as an excuse to, like, hang out with friends and go to saunas and yeah. casinos and stuff. That was big time back then. Rat Pack stuff. Mm-hmm. All I see is Professor Snape being a bad guy <laughs> oh i've got my alan rickman shirt on too awesome i i don't know how much you guys know i love these movies i can i believe it you've been talking about it for like three months yeah. now with the exception of die hard five mm. like, <laughs> like this series is awesome you know to tell you the truth i don't think i've seen the newer ones I may have seen. What's the one with Justin Long? That's um, Live Free or Die Hard. That's number four. That's the last one I saw. Yeah, number five is A Good Day to Die Hard, and it is terrible. Oh no! <laughs> is it that is, the one where he goes to Russia? Yes, right? Okay. Yes, I, I don't feel like I'd seen these movies since they first came out. Really? Yeah, I was, I, I was never a big Die Hard guy. Mm. I don't know why. Just I. This is really like right like, up your I, alley. I really like these movies, yeah. but for some reason, I just haven't watch these movies huh. well jude hadn't seen the second or the third one before oh really oh i can't wait to talk to you about those nice uh um, jude you want to did you know that this was alan rickman's first feature film what i did not know this mm-hmm. first hollywood feature yeah. film. oh i did not and know he that knocks it out of the park oh hell yeah, yeah. he's he, perfect he, he owns it like hans gruber because of alan rickman i would rate him as one of the top movie villains of all time like he's up there with darth vader in my book Wow. Like he is just like, wow, that's the, pretty. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> praise, sir. He's, he's one of the best movie villains in cinema history, in my opinion. Up there with Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's high. That's I disagree. Well, I don't know, man. That's pretty. Get out of here. Where would you put Thanos on that list? Uh, uh, Thanos is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanos was a good guy. So he's not a villain. <laughs> that jerk off Tony Stark was the villain. <laughs> Right on. Uh, Jude, do you want to tell us about the first Die Hard movie? Sure. All right. Hit us with it. I'm going to start with the budget. Cool. Go ahead. Okay. So this movie was made for $28 million. Mm-hmm. What do you think it made at the box office? Oh, oh I'm hoping like easy $180 million. Okay. Vader? $210. $141. jeez. Mm. Not bad. Those are not 80s bad. dollars. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. This was a huge hit yeah. in the 80s. I mean, it was, it's iconic. All right. Go ahead. I mean, coming from 28 
Yeah. You know, to 141. That's a that's well, a jump. Yeah, that's, that's a good a, movie. That's a nice big jump. All right. So this was released in July of 1988. So I don't know if you knew it did not come out at Christmas time. It actually was a summer blockbuster. 1988. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was originally supposed to come out. I was born at Christmas time, I think, but, <laughs> but they pushed it back. Yeah. I graduated from high school. In 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about a little ditty called Die Hard. There we go. So John McClane is a semi-self-loathing New York cop trying to do his best. Um, and he's visiting his wife, um, Holly. Holly, at the Nakatomi Plaza Christmas party when a group of terrorists take over the building and hold everyone hostage. So the terrorists are led by Hans Bubby Gruber. Uh, <laughs> and they're after $600 million in bonds um, that are in like the vaults yeah. of the building. So that's what they're really after, but they're using terrorism as like a ruse to distract it's the just a red herring. It's just a red herring to distract the authorities from what their real goal is. So John John McClain's wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, her name is Holly Gennaro. So that's her maiden name. She goes by her maiden name at work, and Hans doesn't have any idea that she's John McClain's wife until some dickhead reporter trying to get an <laughs> Emmy uh, broadcasts it actually on TV. So now Hans at that point has leverage to use against the one man who stands between him and daiquiris on the beach. Mm. Uh, and then on the ground, uh, we have Officer Powell, uh, who's a desk cop after um, 13 year, uh, after he killed a 13-year-old accidentally, um, he has decided to not ever pull his gun again. So he's really a desk cop. He like happens to like be around when someone needs to go check on the Nakatomi Plaza. He was like, I'll, I'll take a yeah, drive like by a couple blocks away. Yeah, he's like, I'll yeah. take a drive by, I'll check on it. And then I'll head home to my pregnant wife. And then, you know, lo and behold, he's the man on the ground, uh, talking to John McClane through the walkie talkie, yeah. the, the, the whole movie played by the family matters. Dad, yep. yeah. Reginald uh, Bell, John, and then the, he, the perfect cop spoiler. <laughs> he gets his redemption at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll let you gentlemen discuss right on. All right. So, I've seen this movie a million times and it's never, it never gets old. It really doesn't. It's one of those timeless movies. Yeah. You can watch it. I watched it three times in two days (laughs) and I was just as entertained. For for this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're talking about Die Hard next week. I'm like, I'm going to binge watch this thing a million times. It's definitely one of those movies that, uh, it never gets old. It doesn't really get old. It never gets old. It's so much fun. I sat there. I watched all, well, I watched, I watched this one earlier this week and finished, finished it up at work. Hmm. And then uh, yesterday, my wife and I watched the other two. And uh, I know a movie is entertaining when my wife sits there yeah. and watches the majority of them with me. Because she <laughs> usually has nothing to do with my movies. But, but, uh, this doesn't seem like it would be up her alley either. It's like an action shoot em up. Sometimes she likes to turn her brain off too, yeah. just like me. Yeah. So, oh, that's cute. And it's not, you know, some <laughs> stupid Hallmark movie. So I, I was pleased. <laughs> right on. Um, I think let's start with Bruce Willis's performance in this. I think he personifies like the everyday man. Like mm-hmm. he is, he could literally, he could be anybody. He could be us. And that's, I think that's why people gravitate towards this movie so much because they're like, there's nothing special about him. He just happens to be a guy who has a stubborn as hell willpower to just survive. And that's all it is. And he's like, there's no superhero powers about him. Like you see other action movies. And the the hero just kind of seems invulnerable, oh, yeah. especially during can this do time no wrong. period in the eighties. You know, you had like the, the superhero action star like Chuck, uh, Chuck Norris, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and uh, in fact, Schwarzenegger was originally approached to star in this because uh, he had last collaborated with the director John McTiernan back in on Predator, 
and John McTiernan's movies were kind of part of that oh larger than life yeah. action star type thing. And uh, at the time that this movie was being made, Bruce Willis was actually known as a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, he was on Moonlighting. And um, he he had done like two other movies, which were kind of like romantic comedies. I think he did Blind Date and some other film before this. And nobody wanted to cast him in this movie except John McTiernan uh, because they were like, he's a he's a comedian. Like we don't we need. Yeah, action I, I do remember when this movie first came out, people were like, Bruce Willis is an action star now. Really? That's. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to check that out. Yeah, because yeah. the like he like yeah. he, like Kadish was saying, the most iconic action stars of that time were these mm-hmm. like roided out huge yeah. freaking beasts of men. I, I could see uh, Schwarzenegger playing Hans Gruber. What? Yeah. No, he's that, like, that would be kind of cool. Well, Hans Gruber's got to have class. He, he wouldn't oh. have been able to do an American <laughs> accent though. Um, yeah, but, and I think it was Alan Rickman's. Um, or he could have played that dude. The, yeah, the, the yeah. blonde hair yeah. Carl. 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 Carl, yeah, yeah. I think it was Alan Rickman's choice to play Gruber in a suit the whole time, too, yeah. because he was like, my, my my character, he has class. He's got class, well, and well, I, I think that sells yeah, it. He's got class. Before we get to Hans Booby, um, <laughs> like uh, the, the whole kind of concept that John McTiernan came up with, which was kind of similar to um, how the character was in, in the source material of the book, was that he was just like an average everyday guy put into an extraordinary situation. He's yeah. the type of guy I like to refer to as good guy, bad partner. Mm. <laughs> but uh, part of the thing that makes John McClane such an interesting character is like all throughout the movie, like, like most of the time when like when you have an action star, like they're just hyper competent, you yeah. know, like, like they're like – Stuff can be blown up around them and they're just like cool with it. In, in this movie, he's constantly like, please don't let me die. Please don't <laughs> let me die. He's, he's like, well, how, how did I get in this situation? Why am I doing this? Yeah. It's, it's, it sells the character so much as, like I said, as an everyday man, you can see yourself in this character because, and I, again, I mentioned it before we started recording, like the inner monologue of this character is hilarious. And yeah. I think that's the comedic chops that Bruce Willis had at the time right. where like you have these inner monologues where he's like, he's talking to himself, but he's talking about the situation that he's in. It's kind of like this meta view, yeah. but I don't, is, does anybody else do that? Cause I do that all the time oh, for and sure. I feel like I'm crazy. A lot of times you'll just walk around talking to herself and I'll be like, what'd you say? And she's like, Oh, never, nothing. <laughs> I was like, I'm talking to me. Yeah, I do the same thing. I blame this movie. <laughs> you guys are all crazy. You, know what's crazy. you don't do that. No. Oh, come on. You know what's crazy is but that this movie was like being written as it was being made and it should look like shit, but it doesn't. Mm. That's uh, to the testament of um, John McTiernan. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like I said, I've said many times before when we talked about John McTiernan movies, yeah. he's made three perfect movies in his career, Die Hard, Hunt for October and Predator. And, um, you know, like for some reason, like in the 80s and early 90s, like he was just like on his game, like he was just amazing. And he really understood how to construct a story. And Die Hard redefined the action genre, like the the whole man in a confined space against many other adversaries. Like cocaine was so pure in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that guy. <laughs> but but th- this movie was also shot by Jan de Bont, who uh, was the cinematographer on Hunt for October, went mm. on to become a director in his own right with like Twister and Speed. Um, but uh, Bruce Willis actually ad-libbed most of his like funny lines in this movie. Um, that makes sense. It's, it feels so natural. And he's up there and he's like looking down at the fire department coming. He's like, come on, mother. He's like swearing to himself. Like, yeah. come on guys, let's go, let's go. And then they start turning around and he just loses it. He freaks out. Cause the one thing I think a lot of action stars in the eighties and nineties will do, especially the big time ones is like when they're in a terrible situation, they kind of just own it. Like they're enjoying themselves. Like, 
yeah, I'm going to kick butt. I'm going to, I'm going to be the man. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to win. Yeah. Yeah. And for this one, you're con, it's constantly kind of like Bruce Willis or, or, uh, John McCain is kind of like, I want out of this situation as soon as possible. I'm just trying. And every time he tries to get out or he thinks he's won, something happens where he gets sucked back into it and he has to change his game plan up. And this is basically the movie, the Godfather. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear that theory. Just when Jude. I think I'm out. <laughs> they, they pull, pull me, me back, back in. in. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, uh, Actually, Bruce Willis, he was shooting moonlighting at the time that they were making this. And originally, because of his moonlighting shooting schedule, it looked like he wasn't going to be able to do the movie. But then Sybil Shepherd got pregnant. <laughs> and so like they, they took a 12-week hiatus uh, for shooting the TV show, which gave Bruce Willis the opportunity to do this movie. But oddly enough, so this movie took longer than 12 weeks to shoot, obviously. So he had to go back to work. And because they didn't have... Bruce, like he'd come in like after he was done shooting for the day on moonlighting and he'd start shooting this movie. And because of his scheduling, the writers had to come up with stuff to fill in the, you know, the, the schedule. And so like they expanded the part of Powell, who uh, was the dad from family matters. Mm -hmm. They they gave more time to the terrorists, more time to the hostages. We had to and, talk about those Twinkies for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> let him uh, make a actually fully rounded exactly, movie like, with developed characters. Yeah, they, yeah. Like, like a lot of the, a lot of what I think makes Die Hard work is that it's not just all in Bruce Willis's shoulders. Like that you have one of the most amazing bad guys ever uh, on screen. You've got a great supporting cast. Um, and um, there's just, if you look at the movie, like Bruce Willis, like even though he's driving the action, like there's other stuff going on in his orbit. And yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's what makes the movie like so interesting is like, you know, it's a multi-layered um, it's a story. Good, it's a good formula for sure. Oh yeah. You're fully yeah. aware of, because the, the situation could be easily overly complicated, especially if you're focused solely on Bruce Willis's character and you kind of only see the movie through his eyes, you'll be in the dark with a lot of this extra stuff that's happening around you with his wife dealing with the terrorists and the pregnant lady on the couch and like all these little character moments yeah. that Alan, Alan Rickman has to deal with as like he's the head honcho guy and he's like, well, now we have to deal with these ter these uh, these hostages. And I, I like the idea because he had class, right? So there's this one scene where Holly walks into his office and he's like, what idiot put you in charge? <laughs> he's like, you did. <laughs> and he just kind of looks at her like, like, like what did you just say? How dare you? But you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a good moment. And I, I love that stuff. And I love how it flushes out all the characters and even, even the, um, the stuff that doesn't even need to be there. Uh, Carl, Carol, what's the Carl? Carl. Uh, the main like the henchman, the henchman bad yeah. guy with the great hair with yeah. the amazing hair oh my god these guys <laughs> this is fantastic i whenever i see him i th the only thing i can think of is i know you've never seen this alex because you're a, to you're a toddler um but uh the money pit with uh, shelly long and tom hanks two weeks two weeks yeah <laughs> um he he plays her ex-husband in that and he is a very um flamboyant um <laughs> Uh, orchestra director and mm -hmm. i just see him like directing an orchestra with both hands <laughs> and his hair flying yeah. and that's all i can think of every single time i see him in anything nice. as i think of that movie yeah I, I was just gonna comment on on that little vendetta that he has once his brother gets killed yeah which is my favorite line in the entire movie but i'm just gonna say but it right now blood? no when he comes down the elevator and alan rickman comes in and goes now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it was like, it's just delivered so perfectly. It was just this like contempt. And yeah. I was like, this is good stuff, man. That's I, my favorite line in the movie. I absolutely love how they introduced the terrorists in this movie. Like for the first 
I'd say maybe like 10 minutes that they're on screen. Like Alan Rickman doesn't say a freaking word. Yeah. And then they have that shot where like, you know, you have the Christmas music playing and like they come out of the elevator very quietly. Yep. And, and, um, Alan Rickman, he doesn't even have a gun. He just kind of steps out and he like owns the room and he just kind of looks at all these people and he's just like, like you're mine now. Yeah. And yeah. he says it all with his eyes. And, uh, then like when we first hear him talk, like he's like, like he's not shouting, he's not being aggressive. He's just like very calm and, and like, you know, like cool as a cucumber. Yep. And it's kind of funny because Alan Rickman, you know, he was a, a big stage actor. In fact, uh, John McTiernan and producer Joel Silver, they found him when they went to a, a play of um, Dangerous Liaisons where Alan Rickman played uh, the the bad guy Count um, Valmont or something like that, de Valmont. And uh, they saw him on stage and they were like, this is our Hans Gruber. Like, this is the guy that we need to get for this. And uh, it was um, – uh, I think it was just like fate because like this not only launched Alan Rickman's career, but it also like, like enhanced the movie so much because I always like to say that a movie is only as good as its main villain because the better the villain, the more the good guy has to rise to the challenge to you know defeat him. I agree. And so like some of the b- best, most classic stories um, throughout time have like wonderful villains. Yeah. And Hans Gruber, like he just, he, epitomizes like the he's almost like a like a bond villain in a way i could definitely see him as a bond villain yeah, yeah. But, but he's just like he's so smart and that's what i like about this movie that the bad guys are smart and they actually put up challenges to the good guy that, that you know who's not smart in this movie all of the law enforcement they did the police pretty they're, dirty in this movie they're pretty much just assholes yeah, yeah they're the buffoons oh my gosh yeah the, and i was like why is everyone always screaming at john mcclain <laughs> well the when they first get there the cops like hey they this like a dead body fell on my car and he's like you don't know who that is that could be a stockbroker like he's got bullet holes in him dude what are you talking yeah, about it, it, yeah. if, there, if there's one criticism i have about this movie it, it's that they don't make the cops as competent as everyone else yeah, yeah. like from the beginning he's on the walkie-talkie and he's like i got a problem here it's a 911 she's yeah. like sir, sir this is a pri- gotta, this is private and he's like no shit lady do i sound like i'm ordering a pizza that was that was the only good thing about making the cops so incompetent is john mcclain's dialogue his, yeah. his quips back at him yeah. were amazing especially when he went off on that police detective guy uh, it, it, it's it was also, fantastic it's also funny because we get introduced into big johnson and little johnson the, the two fbi agents <laughs> oh yeah johnson and Total johnson, johnson, johnson yeah. Yeah. no relation um, but but a lot of law enforcement doesn't have a lot of respect for the fbi in fact they they uh, say that fbi stands for a effing bunch of idiots mm. um <laughs> so uh so i can understand making the fbi out to be kind of buffoons but the fact that like um not so much the rank and file policemen, but the people in charge of the police as being buffoons that really kind of takes me out of the movie occasionally. There was one other criticism I had, which is it's really nitpicky, but like at several key moments when people had each other at gunpoint and they would like, obviously if you shoot, they would just end your problems and they never do. It's like, I have you at gunpoint. I'm ready to blow your head off, but I'm going to wait. Because I need to talk to you I for a second. Quips I need like, to get out of my body like, on, before I explode. <laughs> the movie would end though. Uh, no, exactly. So. That's it. It was just it would end the movie. That's why I said it was nitpicky. But it's just one of those funny things where, like, especially the blonde dude Carl, who was like really gunning for McLean. He wanted to kill this dude. Mm-hmm. He had him. He had him. He was gone, and he was like. I'm not going to shoot you yet. Like, <laughs> come on. Well, he wanted to beat the crap out of him. He wanted to make him suffer. It was like a macho thing. Yeah, well, I, I think it was just like a sadistic thing. He, he's he's supposed, supposedly the most you know ruthless of the the Hans Gruber crew. Yeah, 
Speaking of, did you know that that guy was a Russian ballet dancer who defected to the U.S.? Yeah, I did not. Yeah. yeah oh, there, wow. there are pictures of him out there in leotards. Like, uh, doing the dance. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> it, it, it almost looks like a Saturday Night Live spoof-like <laughs> image. Does he have the hair? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's yeah. fantastic. I need to see those pictures. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, okay. So let's talk about the stunts real quick because this is something that I personally didn't know about this movie that I learned uh, while uh, researching for the podcast. Um Bruce Willis did like 90% of his own stunts. Mm-hmm. And I think that has improved the movie. The eighties world, like it a wild time. World, there was an interview, yeah. there was an interview with him where he was like, dude, he's like, this movie is probably the most exhausted I've ever been. And there was a video of him. Do you guys remember when he threw the chair at the window mm-hmm. when he was trying to get a hold of the cop down yeah. on the first floor? There was a video of him. He had to throw that chair. He broke like three chairs trying to do that. He was throwing this chair at the window with all his might and it would not break. <laughs> and he just kept doing it. And you could tell he was so exhausted. He could barely hold it up. And he just kept throwing it. And then finally, when he did that last shot, which is the one that you see in the movie, he smashed through the window and he just throws everything down and walks away off camera. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we did it. And he just starts cheering and everybody, the whole crew is all up in arms. It's, it was a good moment. It was something cool that I thought really adds to this movie and, and how good it is and how believable it is that this everyday man is doing all these crazy things. Oh, you want to talk about the stunts. So uh, after um, they cast Alan Rickman as uh, Hans Gruber, um, they found out that he could do a pretty passable American accent. And so they wanted to create a scene where, you know, Hans Gruber and John McClane meet face to face. And so there's a scene in the movie where Alan Rickman, he goes down to check on some of the detonators that they planted. And in wasn't the building. this his first scene that he filmed for the movie? Yeah. So they didn't want to rehearse the scene where um, the two, like the good guy and the bad guy meet. So, uh, cause they wanted it to kind of be like spontaneous in a yeah. way. And so, uh, they shot the, the very first scene of this movie is that meeting between Hans Gruber and John McClane. That was the first thing that they did. That was the first thing they shot. That's cool. And Alan Rickman, when he hopped down, there was like a, a three foot, like drop um, from where like he was up and, and had to land on the floor. And the minute he landed, he like tore cartilage in his knee. <gasps> oh and, no. And, and so oh, that, my and so that, that scene where he's leaning up against the wall and he's having that conversation with John McClane, he's leaning up against the wall because he can't put any weight on that leg. No way. Because he's that's got funny. like a leg brace underneath his, his, that's uh, so his cool. Pants. He just rolled. He just went with it. That's awesome. Well, I mean like he had to go to the hospital after afterwards. Yeah. Stuff. But like when he came back and they were doing that, that scene, like the reason he's just kind of leaning up against that wall is because like his his knee is, is messed up <laughs> off of a little three foot it. jump, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, and all just right. Just to piggyback on Alan Rickman and stunts, like the his final scene. Oh yeah. Like where, they, where, where, they, where they did they him dirty him. just to get that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So so like he didn't know that was going to happen, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. So like in in this movie, um, this was kind of like the height of like the old school optical effects before like everything started going digital, and um, in the final shot where uh, Hans Gruber falls to his death. There's this uh, highly slow motion scene where you have like the the ground of the Nakatomi Plaza like in the bottom and you see Alan Rickman fall in like super slow motion uh, to his death. And the the trauma on his face is yeah. real. Yeah. 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 So, so, so like, you know, they were holding him there getting ready to do the shoot and the cameras start going at like 300 frames a second, super slow motion. And uh, he had been told that they were going to drop him on the count of three. And so like, you know, you, you see him kind of like look at the camera and he's like kind of like evil looking. And uh, the stuntman <laughs> dropped him at the count of two, and so and so the look of surprise on because it's a like he was doing it was a, a forty a twi- it was a twenty foot yeah, drop twenty foot drop to this like you know airbag, 
And so like uh, when when he just started falling, he was like, oh, God. <laughs> and, and they captured that on screen. So like that was the take that they used in the movie. That's perfect. So like so yeah, like that reaction he has of him falling to his death was like real. That's awesome. <laughs> because it, it signifies something for the character as well, too, because like throughout this entire movie, there is no question in his mind that he will win. Like that's his iron will going up against John McClane's iron will. And the moment where he realizes he loses was that moment that they caught on scene. That's that's awesome. That's really cool. Sipping margaritas on the beach, collecting twenty percent. Go ahead. I just I really like the swearing in these movies. Yeah. Did you learn how to swear? I, I learned how to swear. Yeah. Again. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really over the top. It was no. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't just, know. I think it's pretty it was, accurate. It's just so eighties and early nineties with these <laughs> with, with the dialogue in these movies. But, uh, it was I, great. You know, I, I love all like the kind of satellite characters um, in this whole thing. Like, um, oh, what's his name? Ellis. Uh, Ellis. Played by Hart Botchner, who was the uh, who was Supergirl's boyfriend in the movie Supergirl. <laughs> so, so he he's like the yuppie cokehead. Oh, that guy, yeah. dude! Yeah. That guy, Rolex was guy, like, yeah. and He was a douchebag, but I gotta <laughs> say the the actor. He pulled it off. Oh, he's oh, yeah. great. He was so good. And, and he ad-libbed that line, Hans, booby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> and, and, and when he said that, like Alan Rickman being from the UK, he doesn't know any of the slang. And so like that reaction of him being like, what did he just say? What? <laughs> what was like legit because like he'd never heard that before. He's like, Hans, booby. This, this, yeah, this movie is magic. And it, it's also funny because like, so in the movie, it's implied that he's like a cocaine addict. Oh yeah, heavily implied. Oh, yeah. and, and when he sits down with Hans to kind of talk to John McClane and, and try to get him to come in, uh, they give him a, a glass of Coke, and and I think and it, it's widely kind of speculated online. It's like that you know like he he asked them like, do you guys have any Coke? And so like they thought it was Coca Cola. Oh, they thought it was soda. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's a good moment too. Even though it's like never stated in in, in the movie, but like it's it's just kind of like a fun reference. Yeah, yeah. And then we got Argyle. Yeah, Argyle, the, oh, the, the uh, limo about driver, yeah, the, the limo driver, him. and it's it's funny because the uh, the teddy bear that John McClane arrives in L.A. with that's the same teddy bear that they used in John McTiernan's next movie, Hunt for October. Oh, is it the one yeah. that? Oh, the, that's cool. The one, the one yeah. that Jack, Jack Ryan, Ryan gave to his for, daughter for, for for his daughter. That's the same one as as in this movie. Nice. And uh, we have Reginald Bell Johnson as Powell, of course, and uh, the uh, principal from. Um, Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club, who plays the chief of police, the right. kind of uh, the more, buffoon. More, yeah, the buffoonish. <laughs> he plays chief of such police. a good buffoon. Yeah, but, but you also got um, like we've already talked about Carl, but then we've got Theo, the guy who's like, uh-huh. and the quarterback is toast. You know the, the oh the well, black the, the safe cracker yeah, the safe cracker yeah, yeah, who yeah, is okay. driving the ambulance when uh, yes. Argyle takes him out right yeah. yeah and I love how like all these characters have like their moments in this movie like Argyle. He's arguably the greatest hero in this film. <laughs> he stops the bad guys from getting away. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you've got, um, you know, Powell who um, saved John McClane's life at the end and has that kind of uh, character arc of like, I'm never drawing my gun again and stuff like that. And he eventually does. It was kind of a messed up, like, yeah. like quote unquote redemption. Like, oh, I shot a kid because I thought he had a gun. And it, like, that was his moment where he was like, man, I, I don't want to draw my gun on anybody anymore. But then by the end of the movie, He's like, he's got his mojo back and now he can draw yeah, his gun. Yeah, that guy was German. So. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> it was just, a, it was he's a little a weird. Terrorist. I feel like they could have done a little bit different on his backstory <laughs> to try to make it a little bit less of a, a weird you, thing. Uh, you have Agent Big Johnson, who's played by Robert Davi, who is from <laughs> Alex's favorite movie, The Goonies. But also Little Johnson was the guy who played Balrog, uh, the boxer in Street Fighter. 
Oh, really? And, and, and the screenwriter of this movie, um, David S. Uh, uh, D'Souza, um, he was the one who wrote and directed Street Fighter. Mm. So, uh, a lot, lot of crossover here, uh, which I find very Ooh, interesting. DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And of, of course, uh, we, <laughs> who knew Hollywood was so well, small. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> we watched, we watched speed not too long ago. And there was a, uh, incident here in this movie where Jan de Bont, the cinematographer got stuck in the elevator on the 40th floor. Oh, that was while he was filming this. That's while, while he was filming this. And that inspired him for the opening scene in speed where all the people are trapped in the elevator. This movie is far superior. Speed, speed. which is often referred to as die hard on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. true huh? Yeah. So this movie was all shot. The Nakatomi Tower uh, is actually the Fox Plaza building. Yeah. And uh, you know, Fox kind of um, it was under construction while the time this movie was being made. So all the scenes on the floors that are under construction, like that, was actually real. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but Fox owned the building, and this building's in Century City, um, which was not far from where I lived when back when I used to live in uh, Los Angeles. And so, like some nights, I just drive down there. And just like look at the Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I just, die hard. I, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Like I, like I, would, I would like park on the street, get out of my car, and just look up at that building and just be like, "Die Hard was shot here." Wow. <laughs> I think and, I would and, do the same thing. And, and it was just really cool. Like every time people came to visit me in town, I'd take them by there. I was like, "That's where they shot Die Hard." Yeah, you know. And uh, you, you, could, know. you could have been the guy on the bus. <laughs> yeah, you could be the LA tour driver. Look to your left over here. <laughs> that this is thing. the building that was Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> I, I, this guy. He's super famous, right? I've seen him a million times. Well, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's okay. a stunt, no one, he's no a one can I'm see who I'm you're sorry. talking you're about. Right. So, so like there's this, uh, <laughs> there's this Asian um, terrorist guy who's a member of Hans Gruber's team. And there's a scene where he's like getting ready for the police to kind of storm the, the building. And he hides behind this little kind of like snack kiosk. And he just starts stealing candy bars. <laughs> he was eating a crunch. Nestle Crunch. Yeah. He was eating a yes. crunch bar while the cops were blow torching a glass door to get in. Like that's yeah. that's the that's what the level of the, the know, police were in this movie. I but, will but it, say that Hans Gruber's team is very well rounded. Oh yeah, the, very diverse. Yeah, very, very diverse. diverse crowd. He's got you know the Germans. He's got the Americans. He's got some Asian guy. Yeah. Good for him. You man. Know. They all have their roles. Yes. Yeah, but but it's little things like that where like they show like this kind of nameless terrorist who just for no good reason just decides to eat some candy bars in, in the movie. <laughs> and it's such a great little character moment. They're just trying to pad the runtime. That's all. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I think that like that was something that was improvised by the actor where he's just like, you know, he's stealing candy bars and eating them, it uh, was. getting, getting ready to do this thing. And John McTiernan realizes like, that's a great little bit. We should leave it in the movie. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, there's so many little things like that in this movie that I just love. Like I the also whole- think that character, that actor, just wanted a snack. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> very like, possible. Bro, we've been filming for a while, and my blood sugar is getting low. Yes. <laughs> I need some chocolate. My blood sugar is getting low. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's kind of funny because, like Jude said, they were literally writing this movie as they were shooting it. Like they didn't have a completed script by the time they they went into filming. That come out to the coast line was fed to him like right before he said it on like a, a cell phone or something. Nice. But um, they like um, the fact that they were writing this as it was being shot and they do everything right from a writing perspective, like set up and pay off. This is like a typical like yeah. textbook example of, of how you do that. And the whole like first, I want to say like 15, 20 minutes of this movie is all just set up. And um, you know, we talked about that when we talked about predator too, where John McTiernan takes his time to kind of set the stage yeah. And then once things get going, he doesn't have to stop to explain stuff. He can just like keep going. With yeah. It. And that's, that's something that really struck me. 
um, right off the bat, as soon as we meet the terrorists, we have the two guys that walk into the lobby and the one guy's doing some sports reference and he's big and bombastic and he's distracting the guard. And then the guy just shoots him yeah. right in the head. Like there's no beating around the bush or nothing. Like these guys have a job to do. And I think that really sets the momentum for the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, Carl's just a cold blooded like, yeah. right from the start just kills his security. Yeah. Guard. Like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, but, all right. Let's, but all the terrorists are very intelligent in this movie. Like everything they do has a purpose. And if it weren't for John McClane, like they would have like easily like gotten mm-hmm. away with this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they had everything set up, but they even knew the, the exactly what the FBI agents were going to do as soon as they sh- they got there. Because one of the things, the setup and payoff thing, was like um, the main the the crack safer guy uh, was like crack safer the safe crack. Well, that, the we sa- knew what you meant. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> the um the guy who was cracking the safe, he set up early on in the movie, like, hey, once we get past this initial part of it there's going to be this like freaking crazy magnetic locking mechanism that's going to yeah. come down and alan rickman's character is like don't worry about it i got it he's you like we can't we're, there's no way we can shut it off if that goes <laughs> off and then like later on in the movie you find out that he's using the fbi to crack the safe you ask for a miracle theo i give you the fbi it was so good <laughs> so good and, all right and and the christmas aspects of this movie i, I, I just gotta talk about oh go ahead go ahead um, you, you know, I, I told Jude that like this movie just fills me with the Christmas spirit <laughs> because it, 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 it truly does. It, it really does. Like, like it's all about, you know, like family, the importance of family and yeah. goodwill towards men and yeah. like all this. I other have stuff. a confession to make to Uh-oh. you, Kadish. Prior to us getting together in a relationship, I had never watched this movie. <gasps> the first time I watched it was with you. Aww. <laughs> But but the, the, what a merry Christmas spirit that was! That's <laughs> my, my gift goodness. to you because I can't afford to buy actual <laughs> like, 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 like it's about the you know the importance of giving. Like now I have a machine gun, ho ho ho, like Santa Claus. <laughs> um, so like there's a lot of Christmassy stuff in this movie, but the biggest thing is the music. Mm. And one of the things that I think John McTiernan did masterfully is so it was his choice to use Beethoven's Ode to Joy as kind of like the theme for the terrorists. So every time the terrorists are on screen, there are these like interpretations of that classic Beethoven kind of Christmassy, cheery song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you also got Christmas and Hollis from Rum DMC in this movie. Um, you've got uh, all these like classical, uh, you know, kind of mu- musical songs that are kind of associated with Christmas. And they're used in various ways throughout the movie. And it just makes it feel like so Christmas, even like there's no snow or anything like that. It, but like the the feeling of it and like that scene where they finally break into the vault and, and the crescendo swells with Ode to yeah. Joy. It's like, da, da, yeah. da, 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 <laughs> The and light comes, yeah. you know, yeah, the and, vault and you got, opens. Yeah, Jan Debont cinematography with like the lens flares yep. and, and uh, you know, that slow track in on, uh, on Hans Gruber as he's just looking at his, you know, accomplishment. His, yeah. He's and so it, proud of himself. Yeah, it, it's it's like, you know, there's been a big debate on whether or not these are actually Christmas movies. This one definitely is. I the second say, yeah. one, I'd argue, isn't, but... Well, well, to me, this is <laughs> this is up there with, like, you know, It's a Wonderful Life and stuff like that as, like, the I think, Christmas I think you're crazy. You think I'm crazy? Which one, me or him? Both of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, let's do some final thoughts around the table. Vader, you've been pretty quiet. What's your final I, thought I, on I, Die Hard? I don't, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot to say other than what you guys have said already. It's a fun movie. Yeah. It's a peak 80s action is it do you watch this once a year at least no no okay i haven't seen this movie in 30 years oh oh that's right you said that so, at the start sorry yeah yeah no this this is all kadish <laughs> <laughs> so, well i i completely appreciate this movie every i really appreciate this movie but it's it's I, I don't know why i haven't seen it more than i have to be completely honest with you because it's thoroughly enjoyable and it's super fun and 
I like Bruce Willis movies. I, I, I really don't have an excuse for <laughs> not watching this, these movies. Shame. So, yeah. <laughs> Shame. Shame. But yeah, highly recommended. Absolutely. Right right if it's you- a Christmas movie, eh. Oh, I think it's it is. it's an action movie set. I watch it every Christmas. Christmas. We do. I think it qualifies. This one in particular, uh, you're, Jude. You're kind of a weirdo, though. Final <laughs> thoughts on uh, on Die Hard? Um, I I enjoy this movie. I think it's a good movie. I have mixed feelings on whether or not it's a actual Christmas movie, but because it's Kadish's favorite Christmas movie, <laughs> we do watch it every Christmas season. And I also make him watch Gremlins with me because that's my favorite Christmas movie. Right on. Um, and I, I give it uh, four out of five uh, terrorists. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, Kadish, you want to gush one more time with final thoughts? Yeah, like um, this is a perfect movie for me. This is five out of five. Um, I can watch this movie a billion times and never get tired of it. In fact, I, w- I would say that this is my Jurassic Park equivalent to you. Oh, okay. like, like how you're obsessed with Jurassic Park. Like to me, like Die Hard is, okay. is like the franchise that I obsess over. Um, and I feel I, that. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of surprises me a little bit. Why? I don't know. Okay. It just does. It just does. <laughs> hmm. But, uh, you know, th- this reminds me of like when Bruce Willis actually cared about his performances yeah. and like – you know, when, when filmmakers actually cared about delivering a good story and all this stuff, like everything about this movie just works for me. And, um, I just, uh, I love it. Like even the cinematography, like we're watching it right now and there's like the, this red light and then it goes to the blue light and it just feels so Christmassy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just like the, the inherent look of it subliminally, it's telling you Christmas colors, you know, every oh. time a cop car goes by me with its lights on, I go oh, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get filled with that holiday cheer. Yeah. Right after you get yeah. a ticket. Um, <laughs> but but, but th- this movie, uh, yeah, it's one of my all-time favorites, and I'm so glad that we got to watch it again. Yeah, just for you, buddy. Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, okay, final thoughts on this. I love this movie. Uh, in particular, this one I think is up there with top action movies for me. Um, John McClane is the everyday man. I don't ever get tired of watching this movie. Like I said, I watched it three times in a row just for this podcast. And I was like, I could watch it again right now. If we, in fact, we kind of are. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm all right with that. I'm good. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it for some crazy reason, go watch it. And uh, even if you have seen it a million times, go watch it again. It's yeah, and good. it's on uh, HBO Max right now. You can yep. watch them all on HBO Max. Yeah, they're all available on HBO Max if you have that service. Yeah, and don't, I, don't watch the fifth one. <laughs> Is that is that your fallen kingdom? <laughs> oh, it, it, it's worse. It's much worse. Uh, all right, guys. Before we move on to the next uh, awesome Die Hard movie, let's take a quick break to listen to some sponsors. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, real quick, if you want to support this podcast, go to saltynerdclub.com and join our Patreon club. There you will get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes footage of us doing the podcast. You'll get direct access to us on a Twitter message board. You can contact us and let us know what you think of the show and, and give us feedback and hang out and talk nerd stuff. And also, you will get exclusive podcasts and blooper reels. So sometimes we say things that shouldn't be on the podcast, and then we, we give it to the patrons. And uh, every really? dollar. <laughs> Except for last week. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a second. What? And every dollar we get from the Patreon is going towards us getting a van. Oh, is that the new thing? <laughs> Jude wants to I'm make- really lobbying for this salty nerd van. Jude wants to buy one of those creepy white vans and put our logo on the side of it. Put a wrap Just around it. Just drive it around town. All right. Anyway, yeah. SaltyNerdClub.com. Help support the podcast the more money we get from you guys the more content we can give back and the more you, vans we can buy <laughs> and if you guys uh can't or won't uh contribute uh monetarily um you can always help us out by recommending the podcast to others and uh, giving us a, a review on either itunes or spotify 
a little bit of uh, support goes a long way. So if you don't want to throw some money our way, then please uh, consider uh, throwing a review or uh, a recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and in your review, let us know if you are streaming or downloading because we're very curious. <laughs> we're very curious about this. Vader's obsessed with us. <laughs> I'm not obsessed with your, it. Your vote tally on Twitter had like exactly half. It was 50-50. It was 55-45. Was it? Which is way different than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Yeah. But. It's weird. I don't know. It's hard. We're trying to keep track of our, our analytics and it's kind of tough because if it's not, I don't know. We don't want to have to get into it. But yeah. anyway, uh, help us out. Let us know. All right, guys, we're back. We're going to be talking about Die Harder, the second movie in the Die Hard franchise. And the movie that started that whole ER uh, <laughs> sequel uh, title thing. Ugh, this is uh, this movie. I th- I'm just going to get right out there. Uh, I think this movie suffers from a bad case of sequelitis. This I is- agree. <laughs> this is the airport one, right? Yeah, the airport yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, right, right there. And then there, I'm kind of like, they, they, I feel like that what they did was they went into this and they were like, well, everybody really loved Die Hard. So let's just do everything bigger. Yes. And they didn't give a crap about it. I said anything. the exact same thing. Yeah. And I just, it just didn't come off as, as intelligent as the first one. So, uh, Jude, you want to give us the spiel? What's this movie all about? All right. And, uh, or the box office too, I guess. 1990 Die Hard 2. Um, so the budget for this was 70 million. Wow. So it got a, what was it about a 50, 50 mil yeah. uh, increase? <laughs> what do you think it made at the box office? This uh, uh, this came out in nineteen ninety, so these are nineties dollars. Another now. summer movie? Uh, I don't have that information. Oh, it, it, yes, it was July third. Okay. Um, what did the first one make? One uh, one hundred one forty. One forty. I'm going to say this one made at least one eighty. Okay. <clears throat> Vader. Vader. What was the budget? It was seventy million. One sixty. Go up. Come on, guys. <laughs> Is it more than that? Oh, yeah. Oh, 200? Yeah. Okay. 240. 240, exactly. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 this was, you should see the big smile on his face. Oh, he's right so now. proud. <laughs> this, so dollar, Bob. This, this was an even bigger hit than the first one yeah. in terms of box office. Yeah. And it's also funny because like in the movie itself, so this came out, like they shot it in 89, but it came out in 90. Um, and like throughout the movie, they're just saying like, come on guys, it's the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> and it, this movie was filmed in a gentler time when you could just bring your stun gun on yeah. the plane with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could bring was, all types of weapons on board with you. That was my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> I used just to have like, spray, but yeah. now I have this. <laughs> I right, put it me, on my dog, but he didn't walk right for the next two weeks. Let me walk you through it and then yeah. you guys can talk about it. All right, go ahead, so John McClane is waiting on Holly's plane at Dulles airport. Uh, when his keen New York cop sense notices that terrorists are afoot and it's up to him to keep Holly's plane safe in the air from the terrorists who have taken over the air traffic control in an effort to abscond with an international political prisoner. <sighs> Snooze. And it's important to note that <laughs> J- that John McClane is an LAPD officer in this yeah. movie, mm-hmm. even though it takes place entirely in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> right out of so, so, so in the first movie, he was a New York cop in L.A. And in yeah. this movie, he's an L.A. cop in Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming – did they say it in the movie that he moved to L.A. to be with Holly? Yes. yes. Okay, so that's kind of – it gives it a little bit of a backstory, but – Overall, and I like just, he has to tell everyone how oh, he yeah. comes across. Yeah. Like I used to be a New York cop. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, they figured it out by the third one that everybody just wants him to be a New York cop. <laughs> anyway, so this movie, like I, I really did not like this movie at all. Like <laughs> it's it's everything that they could possibly do wrong with the first one, they did it in this one. Like. <laughs> 
It's got Dennis Franz and I, Fred Thompson. I don't even know who the bad guys are. They're so forgettable. <laughs> like they have the only thing I remember about it's the bad the, guy is that guy. he liked to dance around naked in his hotel room. <laughs> like that's the only thing. He, I, he I was, was doing Tai Chi. He was doing his kata. <laughs> it should have been freaking Jean-Claude Van Damme. I, I thought, okay. the, <laughs> I thought the bad guy was the most interesting man in the world. Oh, really? I is it, totally don't get that. No, is that actually what, who that is? I, no. I don't know. I don't know. It, it reminds me. Oh, it looks like no, him, he, he's talking about the general. The general. Oh, the general yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he kind of does suck. He's it's like the most interesting man in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't always take over the world. I, do, I take over the world. Uh, it's just it's just goofy. Like, let's make the the cops were were imbeciles in the first movie let's like let's make them even more in you know of an imbecile in this movie like the bad guys were like supposed to be suave and classy let's make them more suave and classy in this it's just and john mccain john mccain's freaking invulnerable in this movie like things happen to him that just should not be survivable and it's just like well he's john mccain so i guess he's it's just everything likable about him in the first movie really did kind of overgo they went a little overboard and yeah in the sure. meantime holly's just flying on a plane dude that that broke the movie for me too yeah. because like you're gonna hijack an airport the airplanes that are flying around are not gonna just keep flying around they're gonna well, be like they're at bwi right no no they're they're in a fictional airport that's supposed to be like dulles international i thought they were at dulles was that, it dulles or bwi no it's dulles it, no oh, okay. it's a fictional airport it doesn't exist oh, okay um but it's okay. it's the equivalent of of dulles international okay well either way like richmond and bwi are like 15 minutes away <laughs> so like they could just fly away so they're like there's no real tension in what these terrorists are trying to well, they, do they, they do explain that like they redirected all the planes with enough fuel to get to another airport and so the ones that didn't have the fuel to make it to uh, a different airport just have to stay up there until they pattern. crash yeah i just i didn't buy it like I, it, it took me out of the movie the whole premise of this st- started out wrong and i was like no that's I not i thought the best part of this was just the fact that that reporter was on the same flight yeah. as holly yeah, yeah it was it, yeah, again we didn't, we didn't even talk about thornburg in, in our discussion <laughs> i know yeah well we we kind of mentioned him I in passing call him a dickhead well it, it's played by the actor william atherton who played uh the the bad guy in ghostbusters yeah uh the guy who uh, from the EPA also a dickhead who, in that's, ghostbusters that's right yeah <laughs> that, that man has no dick he has so, no dick yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so like he he was just he's one of those guys who's really good at playing a jerk, mm. and uh, he was the reporter in, in the first Die Hard who basically exposed um, Holly McLean's identity. Yeah, and to Hans and, Gruber. and that led to Hans Gruber taking her hostage. Yeah, so she has like this like vendetta against him, and he's gone on to become like some famous reporter now because of the incident in L.A. Now he's like top dog with the reporters, and he's you know well, always he, the one on the he's cutting not edge. Quite top dog. He's trying to get onto network. And basically, like his reporting of the terrorist incident in this movie is what he's trying to use to to make that leap. Yeah, but he has like a restraining order against Holly Gennaro, especially <laughs> like she punched him in, in the first movie, knocked out two of his teeth. Yeah, it's just it came off to me as like a member Barry. Like, remember this guy from uh-huh. the first movie? Like, that's the only purpose that he served in this movie. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because Joel Silver, the the producer of you know the first Die Hard and, and the sequel. Um, that's kind of his MO where he basically just takes the same movie and it's just like, let's just change the location, but yeah. like, keep everything else the same. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a huge issue. It. I don't have a huge issue with them bringing some, some recurring characters, some member berries. Sure. All right. I mean, it's okay. Sometimes it, t- it ties the movies together a little bit. You think so? Yeah. Cause yeah. even, even they even called the, the, um, the cop from the first one, like, Hey, can you send me a fax? Like, Hey, remember that guy that you liked so much from the no, first movie? Well, if, if that's, I, Found that completely believable. You did? If he's working for the LAPD and he's that's his buddy, then why wouldn't he do that? I suppose. 
Maybe I'm being. That guy's still on a desk, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) It was also kind of a cheap way to get Reginald Vell Johnson back in the movie, even though he's in there for like less than like two minutes. Yeah, it's. Um, But but it it was kind of like a fun cameo. So the interesting thing about this movie is that it too is based on a book. So the first movie was based off of this novel, uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, by Roderick Thorpe, but they use an entirely separate novel called Fifty Eight Minutes, written by Walter Wagner and. it's basically about an airport that gets hijacked and, um, you know, in 58 minutes, the main protagonist's flight that, the, that his daughter is on is going to crash because it runs out of fuel. So he has to basically, you know, save the day within 58 minutes. Right on. And so they used this as the basis for Die Hard 2. And uh, Stephen S. D'Souza, who wrote the first Die Hard, uh, comes on again and basically wrote this movie. And you can kind of tell that, like, you know, it's not quite up to, you know, the, the quality of the first Die Hard. In fact, I, I think I agree with Alex in the sense that my biggest issue with this movie has always been that in the first Die Hard, the violence is very believable, whereas in this movie, the violence kind of gets ratcheted up a notch to almost cartoonish proportions. Yeah. Believable? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the stuff that happens in the first Die Hard movie could actually happen. Whereas with this one, like, like you know, getting – you know, ejecting out of the pilot seat as like the plane goes <laughs> oh, up. Okay. They, they were those grenades. So there's a scene where oh, John McClane's yeah. in the plane and the bad guys have him completely surrounded and there's no way for him to escape. So what they decide to do is they're going to throw all the grenades that they have <laughs> into the cockpit of the plane to blow up John McCain. And these grenades, the fuses on them are like what, like three minutes long. Like they throw <laughs> them in there. That's ridiculous. They, yeah, they it bounce, takes a really long time. They bounce around <laughs> in the freaking cockpit of the plane for a good couple of minutes. Long enough for him to strap himself into the pilot seat. Yeah, and, and hit the eject button. Yeah. and then as soon as he hits the eject button, the whole plane blows <laughs> they, up. They, and, they, they, and he, they're falling. They're falling into the cockpit <laughs> one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, I have to stop you for a second because What's you're up? pulling a Kadish and you keep pronouncing his name wrong and it's making me crazy. It's not McLean? It's McLean. You keep saying McCain. Do I say you, McCain? You do. You're saying John oh, McCain. My bad. McLean. <laughs> yeah. Mick Lane. Okay. McLean. Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks, Jude. <laughs> I'm pulling a Kadish. That's fine. But, uh, you know, another factor in going against this movie is that John McTiernan did not return to direct this film. There's so, a problem. So this was directed by uh, Rennie Harlan, who you might recognize. Uh, you know, he was the director of Deep Blue Sea. Uh, he also did uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane and Cutthroat Island. He, he used to be married to Gina Davis. Uh, he did one of my favorite movies of all time, which is uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight which is a big guilty pleasure film of mine. So <laughs> he's a pretty competent director, but at this time, like he had just done that, you know, uh, the adventures of Ford Fairlane. So he didn't have a lot of experience under his belt and he was kind of thrust, thrust into the deep end on things. Um, but I think that he did like a pretty competent job um, considering like what he had to work with. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being real nitpicky with this, but I do think it does suffer a lot from some sequelitis stuff and it takes me out of the movie. I mean, it's, it's a, I would, classify this one as more of a guilty pleasure than the first one's yeah. just a full on pleasure. Like I love sure. it every time this one's like, I can still enjoy this, it. This movie is just, let's do everything bigger, better, yeah. faster, longer. Yeah. And so. it's, it's kind of funny because harder, so harder, whatever. <laughs> so William Atherton, who, who, who plays the, the main bad guy in this, who's a William Sadler who plays Colonel Stewart is the main bad guy in this movie. And uh, Sadler, you know, like you've seen him in so many different things. Like he was in the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Uh, but probably most notable is he played death in the Bill and Ted uh, movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting because like, he's not who you typically think of as like a really intimidating bad guy, especially following a performance like Alan Rickman had in the first one. But his, um, his, uh, his team of mercenaries, 
has like the Terminator on it, uh, Robert Patrick. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, it's got John Leguizamo. <laughs> you know, Does it really? Yeah. You didn't see him? No, I didn't notice that. Well, yeah. Blink and you'll miss him. But oh, like, wow. like John Leguizamo. I did part see of the. the te- I did see the Terminator guy. Yeah. 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 And and so like it's kind of funny like looking at like all the actors who are in this movie. It's like oh yeah that guy. Dude, that guy. the 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 henchmen in all three of these movies are incredible. Yeah. They're just all big buff bodybuilder. Some of them are legit actors. <laughs> yeah. And you've seen them all in other things. Yeah, but but instead of European uh, criminals in this movie, yeah. they're all ex-military guys. Yeah. Can you, I, I had a really hard time following what the whole point of these bad guys taking over this airport for. Can you kind of explain that to me Carl. a little bit? Cause I was kind of like, I'm lost. Like they're yeah. trying to rescue this military dude. Who's right. also a drug dealer. So, so are you guys familiar with the Iran Contra affair? No. So this was a big thing in the 80s where basically uh, Colonel Oliver North was brought up on charges uh, of a scandal where basically the CIA and the military were selling um, guns to uh, drug cartels in South America in order to fight communism. Okay. So like the drug cartels would supply the arms to the um, kind of uh, guerrilla militias um, that would fight the communists trying to you know, embed themselves into South America. And, uh, there was this, uh, I, I believe he was a Norwegian, no, not Norwegian. Um, uh, well, some South American country, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was Manuel Noriega who was like in charge of the small country that was kind of at the, the center of the scandal. And so basically this movie just kind of took that and like changed the name. So general Esperanza, who's played by Franco Nero, who, Vader kind of says, looks like the, the most interesting man in the world. I yeah. see it. I see um, it now. He was actually in John Wick 2. He played the head of the uh, Continental Hotel in Rome. Oh, nice. Uh, but the same dude? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But so um, so General Esperanza uh, was taken prisoner. He was basically kind of, you know, um, deposed in his South American country. And he was going to be flown uh, and extradited to the United States. And the these... Um, military guys who were hijacking the airport, they want to liberate him because um, they want to continue their fight against the communists. Okay. And he's going to fund it with all the drug money that he basically accumulated as leader of this South American country. Now, funny enough, the South American country used in this movie um, is uh, the same as the one they used in Commando. It's made up. Um, it's a fictional oh, South yeah. American country, <laughs> but Stephen S. D'Souza, the screenwriter of this movie, was also the screenwriter on Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he just used the same city. He used the same city. So, te- awesome. so technically, <laughs> Commando is in the same cinematic universe as Die Hard now. So that's we awesome. could get a John McClane. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and, crossover. And, and, and the country is Val Verde. <laughs> Isn't that so, cheese? I, I don't know, but but that's basically. Like, is that that cheese? That's that a street it's, in Las Vegas. It's, is it? it's the fiction, Valley Verde. It's the fictional um, country of Val Verde, uh, headed by the former General Esperanza, uh, that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fought in, uh, nice. in, in in the movie Commando. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's actually amazing. <laughs> that's good stuff. Do you think their characters knew each other? I no. kind of hope they do now. Uh, I'm really, I have a, like a nerd boner right now. <laughs> I'm imagining a spinoff. What if they went I, to I, together? <laughs> I can see uh, Expendables 12 going to Valverde. There you go. Some stuff. Yeah. yeah. What What if uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was a distant cousin of Hans Gruber? <laughs> <laughs> There's another sequel for you. Uh, Vader, what did you think about this second movie? I think I told you already. It's you just, might have. It's just uh, more of the same, except just bigger. 
Oh yeah. It's yeah. just Is there any mo- is there any part of it that you like really enjoy or is it just um, kind of It's just it's just a dumb waste your afternoon kind of fun movie. I didn't hate it or anything. I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. Like I said, I watched it with my wife yesterday. We both sat there. The second one too? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, she watched the second and the third one with me. Right Aww. on. So, but um You guys had a little marathon. <laughs> well, I watched them and she made dinner <laughs> with it on in the background but she was watching so that was fun but no uh i have a good time with all of these they're not bad movies they're enjoyable they're I, I never once wanted to get up and not watch so i kind of wanted know. to turn this one off <laughs> it's kind of but, but it. it's like i said with the first movie i hadn't i don't think i've seen these movies in since 1990 i really don't i can't remember a time when i sat down and watched these movies wow that's crazy. I, so, I really like Die Hard too, though. Really? I, like, I, I know that it's not as good as the first one, but like to me, it's still like a really fun, enjoyable movie. It felt a little too meta. I mean, there was even a moment where where Bruce Willis's character was like, "How can, can the, the same, same thing happen to the, the same, same guy, guy twice?" Yeah. twice? It was like it and, was so and, obvious. And Holly's like, "Why does this keep happening to us?" Yeah, John? It just they they kind of refer to themselves a little bit too much for me. It took, after, me, it took uh, me out. After watching The Rock, I would have liked to have seen Ed Harris. <laughs> play the role of the of the military bad guy the main dude or the, the secondary the, dude the the guy who was in charge of the okay yeah the other guy. yeah i could see that yeah, but, like i said like to me the villains in this movie were like super forgettable i, I didn't really i couldn't like hans gruber so freaking memorable and then when you put these guys on screen you're just like i, I think who are you this, <laughs> this, this movie kind of all the terrorist guys all the military guys they suffer from stormtrooperitis. Mm. They can't hit the broadside of the Well, they were using with, blanks, with, with remember? Their, with their guns. And yeah, it was just... <laughs> well, it's probably, probably the most disturbing scene in this movie for me is where... Um, so we have Cole Meany playing a pilot oh, yeah. of, an, of an international uh, you know, flight. And uh, um, the, the colonel is basically... you know, He's demonstrating his, his power uh, over the, um, the planes in the air. And he's uh, bringing them in for a landing. And they change the... Uh, the the ground level on the radar by like 200 all, all feet instruments. Yeah. And so like this, this plane of like 300 people, basically like, uh, um, William Sadler just crashes this plane. And, uh, the look on his face as he's coming in and it's like, you know, like, you know, giving them instructions where he knows that they're, he's going to like kill all these people. Yeah. It's really freaking chilling. <laughs> like, 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 you know, the, the acting in that scene, and, uh, y- you know, it's kind of funny because Bruce Willis, this is his least favorite um, Die Hard movie, even though I think that it should be number five. But I think he's beyond caring at this point. <laughs> um, and, and it was because of what you said. Is he, he's like it felt too much like a retread of the original, just with like more stuff. And funny enough, this movie originally got an NC-17 because it was like so bloody. And so Ooh. they actually had to go back and like scale back the violence in order to get that uh, R rating. And I remember like when this movie was coming out in the nineties and you know, I was still too young to go see an R movie in the theater, but me and all my friends would get together and be like, Oh man, got NC 17. Can you believe that? <laughs> it must be so intense. <laughs> I tell you the truth. I don't remember there being a ton of blood in this movie. Well, they, they cut it back to, to avoid that rating. Huh? What would, what would have changed? I'm wondering just like, like blood, bloody snow. There's, there's, there's the one scene where they just <laughs> cut that dude's throat. The, the oh yeah. Guy. yeah 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 <laughs> but they they went hard they went harder on in the third one maybe, that, they, maybe, they, maybe, they, maybe they cut back on some of the blood squirts maybe though. well by the time the third one came out that's the mid 90s and yeah. they were just like let's go for yeah, it <laughs> let's let it up all right uh you guys ready to do final thoughts on this movie for sure yeah, yeah. first jude's like i'm done with this one <laughs> go ahead jude why don't you go first uh, this is just a really forgettable sequel for me 
Yeah. And I said the same thing to Kadish when we were watching it. I was like, it just feels like they were just like, okay, here's everything that worked in the first one. Yeah. We're going to do that again, but make it bigger. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's lazy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to echo Jude's thoughts. Vader. How about you? I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like the, I did like the old lady with, yeah, with, with the, the taser. With the, with the taser. <laughs> That was pretty funny. I remember why I just, I started busting up laughing when, when she said that. And I'm like, oh man, they could never do that now. I no, know. they definitely could. <laughs> It'd offend somebody. <laughs> uh, Kadish, why don't you give us some final thoughts? Are you going to defend this movie? Or are you, uh, oh yeah, I'll defend it. Okay, go ahead. Like, like it's, it's still an enjoyable movie. Uh, I mean, I think in, as far as sequels go, it's, it's one of the better like sequels to like a franchise. Uh, this was the last movie that Joel Silver uh, actually produced in the Die Hard the franchise before handing it off to um, someone else because him and his producing partner at the time had a big falling out, ironically, over Bruce Willis because um, uh, one of the producers wanted to use Bruce Willis for one movie and then Joel Silver used him for um, Hudson Hawk. And uh, they had like a, this big falling out over it. And so uh, I believe the studio paid them both out like close to like a million dollars each in order to basically get the third movie going. So uh, this was the last time that um, they kind of collaborated together. And um, the lack of John McTiernan, uh, because he was shooting um, Hunt for October at the time, he couldn't come and do this movie. I think that definitely hurt it. I don't think Randy Harlan is anywhere near as good of a filmmaker as um, as John McTiernan is. And also, you know, um, Jan DeBont not being the cinematographer on this also kind of made it feel and look a little bit different than the first one. I feel like the first one's visual style is kind of like so you know unique and and uh, instantly recognizable that um, having like that slightly different more like '90s kind of cinematography um, really kind of affected this one. Yeah, it felt very claustrophobic too. Yeah, there was there were so many extras on this scene, and I think I mean it, it, it's an airport, so I can understand it. But there was moments in this movie where I was like, "Why are there so many?" Like it's a traffic jam in the middle of a parking yeah, I, lot. It was like super weird to me. I don't know. It just, it I, fell off. I, I feel like all of these diehard movies are about a half hour too long. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> every, every single one of them. But, but this movie, mm. you know, it's set in Christmas again. Yeah. And it's actually got snow this time. And it's kind of funny because like they kept, um, like they set up to shoot in places like Denver where normally it would have snow. And while they were shooting it, it was unseasonably warm. <laughs> so like they, they couldn't get any snow. That's so like they had to actually manufacture most of the snow in, in um, this movie. And uh, it was just like, it, it felt, you know, more wintry, which I, I kind of like because the, the first movie in LA, like LA doesn't get snow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was no snow in there, even though the first one feels more Christmassy, ironically enough. Um, but again, in this movie, all the minor characters kind of get like a, a nice little, um, kind of like subplot that main, like antagonist cop that he has to keep dealing with. He, he's so loathsome. Played, I just played, can't played stand by that Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz. Oh, I just was like From NYPD blue, <laughs> basically um, the same character, <laughs> but, 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 but there's also the janitor Marvin who's basically like the, this version's Argyle. Oh know? yeah. Like, like he just yeah. kind of shows up and helps out occasionally. And he's kind of like comic relief. And uh, you've got Holly's uh, story up in the airplane where like, you know, once again, uh, she kind of, you know, gives a uh, Thornburg his one, his comeuppance. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, like, so like the action in this movie, I don't feel is as believable or as intense as the first one, but the set pieces are actually like pretty cool. 
Oh, the airplane but, blowing up yeah. in midair was cool. Well, like fighting on the wing of the airplane yeah. and that one guy getting sucked into the jet engine. This was kind of like, um, do you guys remember the Fast and Furious where they were chasing the airplane on the runway? And it was <laughs> How just could a, we forget? Just an endless runway. Yeah. That's kind of what this R. felt like. R.I.P. Gal Gadot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, uh, it was like, wow, this runway is like insanely long. They're just on it for like a good 10 minutes. And just they're, they're trying to take off, but they can't. So they just have to drive straight for like mm. an hour. <laughs> yeah, like like – you know, obviously the bad guys weren't as good in, in this one. Um, but uh, overall, like, I still think that this movie is very enjoyable. And if you like the first movie, you're not going to dislike this movie. No. So, uh, you, you know, I, I would give this one probably three stars out of five. Mm. I'd, I'd say two. Just I'm not as much of a fan of it as you are. But, yeah, two out of five. What about I, you, Vader? I think I'm right there with Kadish. Three? It's, it's like I said, it's yeah. it's not a great movie, but it's it's passable. It's fun enough to where you can... Like I said earlier, it's it's a it's a good way to kill an afternoon, and yeah. if you're not doing nothing else, <laughs> June, how many stars do you give this movie? I'm super meh on this. Uh, I disagree with you because I do dislike <laughs> this one, but I do like the first one. Uh, and like I had never seen this before. This was a first watch for me, and when we first started watching it, Kadish was like, uh, "In some ways, I even kind of like it better." And I was like, "Don't say anything else. You're gonna ruin it." And then I watched it and I was just – honestly, I, I fell asleep a couple of times while I was watching it. I don't like it. Okay. So right. I refuse to rate it. Very good. It gets no terrorists. No terrorists this time. <laughs> <laughs> Girls. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, before we move on to the third and final movie in today's podcast, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. All right, guys, before we dive into the third and final movie of the podcast, real quick, if you guys want to get some merch from the Salty Nerd crew, go to SaltyNerdStore.com. There we have all of our cool designs that you can get either in T-shirts or hoodies or stickers or even face masks. If you're into that kind of thing, uh, get it all at SaltyNerdStore.com. And any money that we get from that will, of course, go directly back into the podcast so that we can buy some new equipment and uh, expand the brand and make some cool content for you. That's SaltyNerdStore.com. Check it out and uh, get some something cool in return perfect for the holiday christmas shopping indeed it is sir <laughs> all right guys we could decorate our van for christmas oh my god with your van <laughs> are we gonna get some candy to put, <laughs> put vampire teeth on the front of it vader you love vampires <laughs> we hey have, kid you want some candy we, we could have some of those metal balls that you hang on the bottom of the oh god the, the rear tail tailpipe <laughs> oh the, yeah the dangly yeah, ball yeah, dangly balls no our thing is gonna be we only give out salted nuts <laughs> <laughs> That's so dirty. I've got it all figured out, you guys. This is a Jude project salty for chocolate sure. Ball, sal salty chocolate balls. Uh, <laughs> salty chocolate balls. Got to put them in your mouth and suck them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. 1995. Yeah, the third. Die hard with a vengeance. The third and final movie today's podcast. I might have to. Third and final movie for today's podcast is Die Hard with a Vengeance, starring Bruce Willis and Iron Iron Jeremy. Iron Mike Tyson. Jeremy Irons and Samuel L. Jackson. All right, Jude, why don't you tell us what this movie's all about? All right. This one came out in 1995 with a budget of $90 million. Goes up every time. Yep. Good for them. What do you think it made at the box? $300 million. Vader? 280 Quit thumbing me up. <laughs> oh, I'll <laughs> thumb you up. <laughs> Guess higher. 450 <laughs> Well? $366 million. Nice. Close to 400 mm -hmm, This was the highest close. grossing movie of 1995. In my opinion, my humble nerd opinion, this one's the best one. 
Really? I this love, one supersedes one for you. It kind of does hmm. because I think they did a phenomenal job of making it more complicated, yet it all works and it's all paid off and it all makes sense. So I'm, I'm all for it. Like the first one was very simple and that's kind of what its charm was. It was like very basic, simple plot line all in one building. This one, they did it bigger, yeah. but they also made it's, it, it gets, better. It gets really convoluted, but they make it work. Exactly. It yeah. all comes together. All right. So Hans Gruber's brother has got John McClane fitted for a toe tag, and he'll do whatever it takes to get it tied. The New York City Police Department gets a call from a madman saying that he'll blow a bomb if John McClane doesn't go to Harlem with the opposite of a Black Lives Matter sign <laughs> and stand on a corner. That was very good. Uh, well put. That was very well that put. That was very well put. I, I was just going to say it. <laughs> so don't. Samuel Jackson is a store owner uh, who can see where John McClane is standing. Uh, so he sees him and he knows that he's about to get murdered once people see him standing there with that sign. Uh, and he intercedes on his behalf. So this puts him on the radar of Pita Gruba. Um, so now it's not just John McClane that has to jump through uh, Gruber's hoops in retribution for his brother's death. And in the fashion of his dead brother, uses his brother's death as a ruse to steal $140 billion in gold bars. Pinkies up, everybody. $1 billion. Um, yeah, this uh – this movie to me is like a freaking masterpiece because if you are really paying attention, they set up so many awesome moments that comes much, much later in the movie. Uh, just in like passing dialogue. Like there's a moment early on when they're talking to McLean and he's, he's just coming over a hangover. He's broke up with Holly again. I'm glad they cut Holly out of this movie. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't go back oh, to well, that. Well, she, she didn't agree to come back. I'm good. <laughs> is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I like, hate how bitchy they make her sound on the phone though. They, they tried to bring her back and she was like, the last two movies I've just been sitting there. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's so, not yeah. wrong. I'm, not, I'm yeah. not coming back. That's, I mean, that's completely fair. Like you don't want to just be, I, I also like, like the fact that they gave um, John McClane a hangover for the whole movie. Like the entire <laughs> movie. He's just like, anybody got I any aspirin? Really bad freaking headache, man. <laughs> it was perfect. I told the nurse that I was having a headache and she didn't believe me. And I'm having a very bad, bad day. <laughs> but anyway, you're going to worse, act, you're gonna have to act crazy. Anyway, like Bellevue. There's just in the first like 15 minutes of this movie, there's so much setup. Like they were in passing dialogue. They're talking about 14 dump trucks that get stolen. And it's just yes. like this off they, the cuff they, thing. They do. They set up a ton of they stuff. So, and, the and then the guy's sure. badge number being his lottery yeah. ticket winner, like that's set up and paid off much later in the film. Like everything about this movie just is like so well crafted to it's me. very clever. That I'm like, I'm into it. And the I think I don't think I, I obviously I don't think I noticed these things first watch, but on returning. And watching it again and again, and I'm like, oh man, they really did freaking take their time and like make this into a, a really well rounded story with elements that get paid off later on. And it just, to me, it just sucks me in. Jeremy Irons is the only person I can think of that would be able to stand Pull up to yeah. Alan Rickman's freaking Hans Gruber. Like, if you get Hans Gruber and then you get freaking uh, uh, Simon Peter Gruber, like mm -hmm. those are the two top tier dudes, and it, it makes sense to me that like that's who you would get to play a bad guy because freaking Jeremy Irons so badass. So to me, watching this movie, I think because they amped it up and made it bigger, but also did it in such a way that it was like really well written, I think it improves upon what was set up in the first movie, and it holds up, and it holds up. So this was the first Die Hard movie not to be based on a book. It was actually based off of an original screenplay, which was originally titled Simon Says. 
And the screenplay was written by Jonathan Hinesley. Now, if you don't know who Jonathan Hinesley is, he's the guy who wrote Armageddon. Um, he's uh, basically credited by Michael Bay as having written The Rock as well. Um, so, like, he's he's got, like, a very good track record of writing really good action movies. And originally, this was going to be, the, the Simon Says was going to be the sequel to a movie called Rapid Fire starring Brandon Lee. And this was going to be a Brandon Lee vehicle. Mm. But after, oh. Brand, after Brandon Lee got killed on The Crow... Um, it was kind of put in turnaround, and eventually uh, John McTiernan, who came back to direct this installment of the, of the franchise, um, so because he was doing a Hunt for October during the second one, he came on and he took Hinesley's script um, and basically ran with it. Because originally, uh, Die Hard Three was going to be set on a boat, and uh, then um, Under Siege came out, kind of stole their thunder. So did Speed Two. Well, well, the, the, the script that they were going to use went on to become speed Two. <laughs> nice. So, Called it. Yeah. So, um, so basically, uh, what, uh, the first hour of this movie is very, it's about 90% of what was in the original Simon says script. Hmm. And then at the point where it's revealed that, um, Simon Gruber is basically trying to rob the federal reserve bank of New York. It goes in an entirely different direction. And, uh, y- you know, I'm not as high on this movie as you are, Alex. Hmm. Like I still think the first one's the best one. Um, but, uh, this movie, it, like when I was rewatching it with Jude, I enjoyed it much more than when I saw it in the theater. And I think it was because I, I think the first hour is very strong, but once it becomes another heist movie, I, I felt like it was just like, you know, John McTiernan was just repeating himself. Mm. So I would have liked to have seen it more of, of like a one-on-one of John McClane versus, you know, Simon. And I would have liked to have seen more of this, like running around the city, trying to disarm these bombs because that was, unique and original and i felt like it like halfway through it kind of switched back to a more formulate die hard type movie i want to talk about this bomb real quick and then there's a moment that i i never realized until i was prepping for this podcast um that this movie does something really clever um so the bomb that they're that simon is using to to blow up around the town is this like new chemical bomb that mixes two components kind of like an epoxy and then once they mix they become explosive and then it's like super powerful right early on in the movie the police officers find out what this chemical is and they do a little bit of investigating and they find out like oh this chemical there was a um about 2,000 pounds of it stolen like a week ago or whatever and that's where he got it from and they're trying to like trace who who has it and uh later on in the movie um simon says that uh he has 2,400 pounds in a school. And immediately, if you were like super paying attention to the movie, you should be like, wait, he has more than what was said was stolen. Mm-hmm. So that, that if you're like, again, I'm not going to say that I figured it out because it wasn't until like, wasn't until I watched it like for the fourth time that I was like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> like, wait one goddamn wait math second. minute. That's <laughs> a fake bomb because there's no way they can put 2,400 pounds if they only have 2,000 and they already used some a minute ago to blow up a, a, the train. So it was like one of those, another one of those things that really paid off to me and I was like, that's so freaking cool because like it's fake and you know it's fake but if you're not paying attention and if you miss that little bit of dialogue, the whole like hunting down the bomb inside the school is very intense. I guess I missed it. You missed it? Is it cool now that I told you what happened? No, now I just feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I quit. I'm leaving. (laughs) Another thing that um, this movie kind of strays from the formula of one man versus an army 
that the first two kind of used. In this one, it's actually more of a buddy cop film because you have the introduction of Zeus, who's Samuel L. Jackson's character. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because Sam Jackson said he based uh, the look of Zeus on Malcolm X. As, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, he's basically kind of playing Malcolm X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember when this came out, like this was just – like I, I think Pulp Fiction had come out like a year earlier. There's several Pulp Fiction and, references. Yeah, in this movie. And, and and like both Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson were kind of seeing like a big kind of upswing in their career, especially Bruce Willis, because mm-hmm. um you know him and John Travolta got like a huge bump from from Pulp Fiction, and uh, for a long time like before this movie, um, Bruce Willis's career was like dead, like like nobody wanted to cast him. He had done like a whole bunch of flops, and uh, this was like after you know he kind of got a resurgence from Pulp Fiction, he kind of went back to the well of the movies that were his hits. And this, this was like, you know, um, the, the diehard movie that came out and Sam Jackson, Bruce Willis were in it and they were coming off of Pulp Fiction. So there was a lot of interest in this movie, um, going into it. And there was a lot writing on it for Bruce Willis because this was like his, you know, his comeback film in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, this was the thing that brought him back up to a list level. And uh, so he had a lot writing on it and him bringing in Samuel L. Jackson to play off of, I think was a masterstroke because Sam Jackson really makes this movie more unique than the other two um, diehards were. Yeah, for sure. He adds a whole new element that I think only Sam Jackson would be able to, to add to this movie. Yeah. Uh, Jude, you and I were talking before we started uh, about this podcast or about this uh, movie. You love it as much as I do or where are you at on this one? Um, for me, the order of, goodness goes one three then two okay i think for you you said it was three one two yeah yeah, yeah just no, i really enjoyed it i think it's a great movie yeah what 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 about it that you enjoy so much is it um i i love the way that things just kind of come together i think it's very smartly written i think it's very clever i think the story is um different enough and also same enough for me to like invest in. So like I, I, I'm always talking about like whether or not I want to invest in something mm-hmm. for me to be able to enjoy it. So for me, it does like bringing uh, Hans Gruber's brother back, I think was great. And it, and it tied the first one mm-hmm. to this one and then making it different enough. And then also with, with the heist, I was like, Oh, that's such a Gruber thing to do. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I just like it. I think it's great. And I love the, the, um, the quips back and forth between like Samuel Jackson and was, Bruce Willis. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask how you felt about oh, and their, I, their I love the, uh, the riddles. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you guys recognize the female cop with the bad perm, the, the blonde lady? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. Who is she? Is that? Wait, 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 wait. I just want to list off a couple of other things that she's in and see if you get it. Oh, okay. Clue, Spencer Confidential. Spencer Confidential? Wayne's World. Uh, no, I'm lost. It's Colleen Camp. Yeah, Colleen Camp, who played uh, the maid Yvette in Clue. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, she was the secretary in uh, Spencer Confidential. Mm-hmm. And then she, oh, was, uh, yeah. okay. she was the arcade guy's wife in uh, Wayne's world. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But, but right she, on. she had put on a bunch of weight by the time Spencer confidential came around. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it was like a hundred years later, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. but, but this guy in the glasses on the right, uh, Oh, the bomb diffuser. We got to explain no, no, who no, we're not, talking about. not the bomb diffuser oh. that the guy whose badge number, he always plays. Oh, six, nine, nine, one. So he was in the first die hard. Was he? Yeah, he was the guy who was giving medical attention to uh, Powell's character after you know he got uh, in the car crash from when John McClane shot up the car. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like he looks very different in this movie, 
Um, but he's and he's playing a different character, but it's the same actor. Oh, that's cool. So like if, if you're watching for him in the first movie, you're just like, what's he doing in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did he transfer to New York too? Did we talk about why the badge number mattered? Because I, I, that was one of my another well, one of my well, favorite well, moments. You mentioned that like he he always plays his, the lottery. And, yeah. And every cop always plays their badge number. And so he's he, you know, specifically states what his badge number is. Yeah. In, in the opening scene. And that's like the first 10, 15 minutes of. And then later on when McCain. Uh, McLean. McLean. <laughs> why do I keep saying that? That's so weird. McLean figures out that they're actually going on a heist at, at the federal uh, uh, bank. He goes in there and he sees one of the uh, one of the henchmen and he has the badge on because he killed the cop because he killed the cop and uh, and McLean figures it out and he's like oh he's in the elevator it's a cool elevator scene too a cool little action fight scene kind of reminds me of the one from Captain America yeah elevator fights yeah and right. uh, he just blows everybody away every, but it was it every, was a, it every was a Die cool Hard era. has a important scene that happens in an elevator <laughs> every single movie I guess that's, yeah I guess that's true. Even the later ones, yep, four and five, mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Kadish, what are you about? What about you? What? Why are you not as enthralled with this movie? Because as far as like a, a writing standard goes, I feel like this one would be stronger than the first. Yeah, how can you love the second one but not this one? <laughs> <laughs> because this one kind of strays from the formula a little bit. Um, like I said, it's more of a buddy cop um, story than it is like a you know one man versus many story. But Sam Jackson's just a. A store owner. He's not a cop. I'm not saying that it's not good. (laughs) I'm just saying that it's straying from the formula. It's also, it takes place over an entire city as opposed to being in a confined location, Hmm. which I kind of like that. Did you not? Um, I, I, like I said, it's not a bad thing, but it's not die hard. Okay. Like die hard in, in a nutshell is in a enclosed area that, you know, um, you have to fight in and there's no escaping it. So this felt, this didn't feel like a diehard movie to me. Okay. It's a good action movie. Don't get me wrong. But overall, other than the fact that Bruce Willis is playing John McCain, Mc, <laughs> no, you're doing it. <laughs> other than the fact that Bruce Willis is playing John McClane in, in this movie, it literally could have been like any other character, but now it's New York. So yeah. we got to show all of New York. It is kind of cool that like, you know, he's back in his original jurisdiction. Yeah, I feel like that. And, and this is the only movie where he's actually a cop in his own jurisdiction <laughs> yeah. like doing stuff. And we get to see like, you know, his, uh, you know, um, his unit. I yeah, fucking, his, unit. his partners. I love how salty he is in this movie, too. <laughs> and at least the cops in this one are not quite as buffoonish as the other two. Oh, yeah, they're not buffoonish at all. And but, he's, he's suspended at the yeah. beginning of this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, they ever say why he got I don't, suspended? I don't, I, don't I, so. I, I don't like that he's like he keeps kind of regressing, um, you know, throughout these movies where basically like in this movie he's a drunk, he's one step away from being a full blown alcoholic. Uh his marriage with Holly has officially collapsed. Um, you know, he's kind of getting he's on his way out of the force when, when all this stuff is happening. So I don't like seeing like John McC- John McClain um on the downswing, you know. Hmm. Um like I and also it's kind of interesting because up to this point, he's been in two very widely publicized terrorist scenarios yeah. where he was the main hero. And then, like, you know, everyone in this movie, they're like, oh, that Nakatomi thing. Oh, I was on 60 Minutes and I was famous <laughs> for, like, two seconds. You know, it's, it's like, oh, come on, dude. I don't you, know, you, dude. Went, you went through that twice. You would have been on every freaking, you know, newspaper and news cycle. Flash in the pan. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of feel no, like he'd, he'd have been a celebrity. In the news? No, I doubt that. In the news cycle? Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I could see, like, maybe the Nakatomi thing kind of coming and going, but after the, the airport thing, 
the fact that he was in Nakatomi and and that airport scenario, like he people would have known who he was. So I'll I'll have to disagree with you on on the thing you said about it being in an enclosed environment and that kind of like being where Die Hard should live as far as the story goes. I think if they would have reused that trope too many times, I think the franchise would have died off a long time well, ago. Well, no, Is that I mean, how like, four and five are? Are they in an, no, in an enclosed space? No, like they're they're more like three. But again, that goes to the fact that like they're breaking out of the formula. But you have other movies that use the Die Hard formula to great effect. Like you know, you had Under Siege, you had oh, Speed. Dread was amazing. Dread was the same thing, basically. It's all yeah. locked down into one building. In, in uh, one what is that raid? That that foreign film raid that everybody yeah loves the, the raid. So like the the Die Hard formula works. Like you can you could do it in a submarine. You can do it in another building. There's uh, I I actually had a pitch for a, a Die Hard movie when I was in Hollywood, where basically it was it anybody t- else perk up when he said that? I want to read that. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes place in a prison, and John McClane is going to witness the execution of a guy that he put away a long time ago as a cop and his daughter is there as a TV news reporter. And the guy who's getting executed basically orchestrates a takeover of the prison where there's like a big riot. Everyone breaks out, takes over the prison and John McClane, now that he's like old and he's got arthritis and all this other (laughs) stuff, like, like he escapes and he, you know, he's like loose in the prison, but they're like everyone in the prison is trying to kill him. Yeah, and and so like you know, that was like my pitch for. I'd go watch that. That's pretty, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, yeah I wanted sure. to I wanted to call it Die Hard Lockdown or something like that. You hear that Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> but but you know like that was kind of like going back to the Die Hard formula where it was him against an army, him in an enclosed space. Like so like there's lots of different ideas that you could toss around mm. uh, that utilize that that formula. I'm not saying that it was a mistake not to use that formula in this one because they'd used it twice before. So it kind of made sense to do something different, but I kind of miss it because that to me is diehard. Okay. That's fair enough. I get it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Jeremy Irons in this movie. Oh, who, awesome. We kind of talked about a little bit about him. My, my second favorite diehard villain. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's right up there with Hans Gruber with, uh, Alan Rickman, uh, as far as a villain yeah, goes. Like they, they had to go and get an Oscar winner yeah. to, <laughs> to, to, to match, you know, the level of Alan Rickman. Yes. In, in the first one. The, the voice, I mean, it's Jeremy Irons. You can't go wrong with yeah. this guy's voice over the phone. They just could, They could be related. Just taunting him over the phone with these riddles and, and, him being so cool, calm and collected and just a cold killer. I, I loved it. But he's also he has just as much class as his brother did, which I thought was really good. Uh, although he did say that his his hair in this film looked like a midlife crisis. <laughs> was it the bleach blonde or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> that was he pretty funny. He played Scar in The Lion King. Oh, my. I can't not hear that every time he talks. It's awesome. Uh, he, he could be Grand Admiral Thrawn. I, yeah. Did you like that? I did. That uh, was perfect. Casting. <laughs> uh, I don't know. How dare you? Maybe. What did you think about Jeremy Irons? In this I love movie, Jeremy Irons in this movie. He's yeah. Awesome. Perfect yeah. villain, man. He, he just plays good villains. Yes, he does. Pierce, although, he does. although that, that one that he played in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. <laughs> I, I've never seen yeah. it. Was it bad? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like if you could take away an Oscar for a performance, oh, <laughs> that, dear God. that would be the one. Oh. Like, like, like he really like hams it up in that movie. Like it's, it's uh, really probably just having some fun. He's, good. He's a good Alfred too. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he is. He's just a good actor. Everybody likes Jeremy Irons. Yeah, sure. For sure. So the uh, the guy who took over the producing duties on this, um, Vader, you'll probably appreciate appreciate this. His name is Andrew G. Vagna. And uh <laughs> why would I appreciate that? <laughs> Vagina. You, you love vaginas. You love vaginas. Um he uh he basically kind of took over the franchise from this point on from Joel Silver and uh 
uh, under his, I guess, stewardship, I, I feel like the franchise has kind of progressively gotten worse, mm. culminating in A Good Day to Die Hard, which was probably the worst movie in the franchise. To me, it's it's like um, that mythical fourth Indiana Jones movie that, yeah, that, no, that no, talks nobody about. talks about. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to go watch the fourth and the fifth one now. <laughs> those are probably the ones I would like way more than these. That's, you think so? I, don't, I seem to like bad movies. So The, four, the fourth do. one's a lot of fun. Uh, I like Justin Long in that one, and Timothy Oliphant plays the main bad guy. Yeah, He's really yeah. good in it. And it's just kind of like a, a fun, like a, a fun entry into the series. Even though, like, I don't think it's as good as the first, any of the first three. They they do the classic thing where I think they go a little bit over the top with the action in that one. Oh yeah, like, like they're definitely. they're like throwing cars and, at helicopters. And, and, and Kevin stuff. Smith has a cameo because this was around the time that he, that he was like working with Bruce Willis on um, uh, Cop Out, right? On, on Cop Out, yeah. yeah. So, so like, you know, the, they had that dynamic in there. But uh, oh, the fifth one with Jai Courtney. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. A What's good up? day to die hard. That is that the fourth one? That's the fifth one. That's the fifth one. Okay. So the budget for that was ninety two million and it made three hundred and four million. So it didn't even make as much as this one did. Mm. It's still it, pretty good. It, it shouldn't have even made that much because <laughs> it was really bad. But this one's got Sam Jackson and Jerry. Yeah, Andy. Sam Jackson, he there's only a few actors in Hollywood that I can that can say a good F bomb and I'm like, that was a good F bomb. Like most people when I see people use it all the time, I'm like you don't deserve to use that word. You know, <laughs> Sam Jackson deserves to use that word. However he wants. Yes. Yeah, he can also drop the N-bomb with impunity. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nobody it, drops an F-bomb like Bruce Willis does either. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're both good it's, They're it. pretty good, It's yeah. funny, in that scene in Harlem where Bruce Willis is wearing the sandwich board that has, like, the racial slur on it. Yeah. So, like, when they were shooting it, it was a blank board, and they put in uh, that racial slur in CGI in post smart <laughs> but but they also did it so that when this plays on like normal tv they, they changed it for you know to make be something like a little bit less offensive <laughs> so they could actually show it on broadcast called the cops why because there's about to be a dead white man in the street <laughs> so good. oh and his little and and sam jackson's relationship with the two young boys that come in early on when uh-huh. they're introducing that reaction was freaking hilarious. They're like, where'd you get this from? Oh, I got it from, uh, what was that guy's name? Tom or something? Yeah, Big T or Big something. Big T or whatever. Dirty T. Yeah, and they're like, he's like, don't ever let people use you. And he goes on this monologue about yeah. like how yeah. to live your life and like go to college. Why who are you going to go to college? Who do we don't want yeah. to help us? Yeah. White, white people. people. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of racial justice stuff. It in was movie. so funny. But, but that youngest kid, uh, you know, he's uh, he was played by the actor Aldous Hodge. Who, um, you know, like I've watched, it was funny when we were watching this, I was like, where do I know that kid from? And, uh, you know, he's a full grown man now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he was most recently in, um, the invisible man. Uh, he played, uh, the, uh, the, the cop who kind of helps, um, uh, the, the battered wife out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in the show called leverage and, uh, like he's been in like a lot of stuff. Oh, that's cool. And he, he has such a distinctive face that like, I recognized him as a kid, but I, I was like, where do I know that guy? From? <laughs> that's yes, funny. It was really bothering him. It really was. That's funny. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the other thing to, to talk about the, uh, the racial justice stuff that Sam Jackson is playing up in this movie. Um, it was, I thought it was funny because it can, it could be seen as being over the top, but, um, Bruce Willis's reaction to it, I think is just as valid oh, as yeah. the other side. Like the arguments that they're having back and forth is like uh, legit arguments that people have. So you're the racist. Yeah. Well, you don't, don't like me because I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I never did anything to you, dude. Like, why do you hate me? Sam Jackson has a very Malcolm X, Malcolm X look throughout the whole movie yeah, too. With yeah. the white shirt, and the glasses. It works. I think, I think the dynamic works really well it and it's, it, it skates that line of like offensive yet truthful all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think it was perfectly done. 
Um, yeah. Does anybody want to mention anything else about this movie? Case you have I, any other fun facts? I, I really like the uh, blonde German lady. Yeah, she's oh, yeah. A, she's a pop singer. <laughs> she's a savage. She's the Carl of of this one. Yeah, she's she's kind of hot too. She was kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, there was that my, the one scene that I always think of when I when I when we're talking about her is when she comes in through the back door of the yeah. wall after she crashes <laughs> through the wall. She comes in and she just freaking savagely murders this cop. Yeah. She just slices him up. Slice and dice. And I, Jeremy Irons has to come over. He's like, I think he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also had to have that cop that she killed. Like, he's just like shooting willy nilly, screaming like the whole time. Like he's, he's doing his last stand and like nobody's down at the end of that hall. Yeah. He's just like shooting at nothing. Yeah. He's yeah. just trying to intimidate them. <laughs> I need backup. Ah, he's shooting down the hallway and then she just sneaks up on Trust him. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Not even God knows what you're doing. <laughs> So many uh, memorable, memorable lines in this one too. And they're, they're talking about the Pulp Fiction references. There's one line where McCain's like, "Man, Mc, I was McClain. just McLean was just like, uh, man, I was just on my way to a good hangover, smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo." And I'm like, "Oh, that's Pulp Fiction." <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, good, good movie. Um, um, so the the funny fun fact: uh, the screenwriter of this movie, Jonathan Hinesley, he was actually detained by the FBI um, because they wanted to know like how he knew so much about the federal reserve uh, security <laughs> measures because apparently like it was like super accurate. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of scary. And, and the FBI, the FBI looked at it as like a security uh, risk. And so like uh, they, they detained him and they were like, you know, how do you know this stuff? And he's like, I read an article in the New York Times. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's like, why don't you go to detain them? <laughs> it also like the second one, it got an NC 17 rating uh, originally. And so they had to go back and re-edit it to um, tone it down. But just for violence. I think it might have also been for language. Oh yeah, uh, these these movies are very sweary. Yeah, yeah, they are a lot yeah. more a lot more f bombs in this one. Yeah, but they they had to go back and and try to get that R R rated rating, and it was it's kind of funny because uh, the fourth movie in the franchise is actually PG thirteen, I believe. Um, oh, and, and, and they were trying to open oh, it, open along it with up. Justin Long. Yeah, they yeah. were trying to open it up for like a broader audience, and that's always a mistake with yeah. these movies, in my opinion. For sure. Yeah. It's um, like it's like trying to make a PG thirteen Predator movie. It just, <laughs> just doesn't work, man. But this movie actually had a, a different ending than the one that we we have in the final edit. Mm. Uh, basically, the alternate ending has um, Simon Gruber getting away, and like his team like escapes with the gold, and John McClane is blamed for it, and he basically he gets disgraced, he gets you know kicked off the force. And John McClane goes and hunts him down in Europe based off of the number on that aspirin bottle. At yeah, the end. yeah. And they have a game of, of John Says where he, he tracks down um, uh, <laughs> that's a whole Simon other movie. Yeah, that sounds like a fun well, – well, That should be Die Hard 4. Well, right they, they have like a little conversation. Um, so like John McClane corners um, Simon Gruber in his like office, which is this like very uh, decadent European of all, all mahogany and leather-bound books type yeah. office. <laughs> and John McClane sets down a, um, a rocket launcher on the desk. And it's one of these like double, you know, barreled rocket launchers. And so uh, he, he like spins it and he's like, you know, wherever it lands, you know, if you pull the trigger, you know, you could kill me. Or if I pull the trigger, I could kill he's you. He's playing Russian roulette with the guy? W- with a rocket launcher. That's crazy. <laughs> and so like, you know, like there's this whole kind of battle of wits. It's almost like that scene from Princess Bride where Vizzini and, uh, and yeah. uh, you know, the uh, Carrie Always character are, uh, trying to drink the poison. The wine. man in black. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, basically, like, it ends with, like, Jeremy Irons killing himself. 
And, huh. and uh, so I can clearly not choose the lo- rocket launcher in front yeah. of me. <laughs> and, and John McClane basically goes off a, a broken man, but having like gotten his revenge. Well, that sounds and, weird. And yeah, basically the. Studio, Where did you read this at? Well, you can see the the ending on the DVD. Oh, it's got like an extra thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, the studio it was like, this is too dark. We don't want to take the character in this direction. <laughs> And so, like, they went back and reshot the ending that we got in this movie. Um, so, uh, you know. I thought the ending we got was kind of abrupt. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Well, that's because it was tacked on at the very last minute. <laughs> you can tell. Like, like, this was one of those movies where, like, they like they had all the printings done, like, a day before it was set to release. Mm. So it was, like, right up to the last minute that they were, like, you know, doing stuff with this movie. Real quick, who's everybody's favorite character in this movie? Jude. Come back to me. Let me think about it. <laughs> Anybody else ready? I'm going to say the uh, the construction worker truck driver. At I, the, that was going to be mine. I, was, uh, I, was, I love that guy. <laughs> the guy who's just filled with useless information. Yes, yes. He's awesome. He made me so happy when I watch him. And I wonder. Yeah, these tunnels were initially commissioned back in 1923. <laughs> it just goes off. And, John, and John's just sitting there going like, yeah, all right, man. That's cool. Good. You know, he's yeah. just going who, along with the 24th president. <laughs> Chester A. Arthur. It's like, what? Chester what? A. Arthur. He's the 24th president. He was also, also a nominee for vice president in 1929. <laughs> Did you know that? No, I didn't know that, man. Thank you. <laughs> it was such a great little like moment. Yeah, in this he, movie. he was like the Argyle of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I dug it. I dug that one. I also like the guy who um, you know, disarms the bombs. Yes, he was cool, too. And it, it's kind of funny because, you know, so around the time that this movie came out, we had the, the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, a lot of people were very, like, quote-unquote sensitive about bombings. Yeah. And this movie's all about bombings. <laughs> bombing school, no less. <laughs> yeah. So, like, a lot of um, – there was a lot of pressure on them to, like, cut out a lot of the, the bombs blowing up. And John McTiernan was just like, no, like, in 20 years, nobody's going to care. Yeah. And um, in this movie, so, like, when the bomb guy finds the bomb at the school and he's trying to disarm it, uh, he punctures one of, like, the, the, the tanks and all this red liquid starts spraying on him. And uh, he's getting it all over his face and he tastes it and he's like – pancake syrup and uh originally in the theatrical cut it was corn syrup hmm. but because of the the backlash against using high fructose corn syrup and everything oh, the studio changed it oh in adr to say pancake syrup instead that's stupid that is so stupid yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that's hollywood for you they're very reactionary that's so funny yeah, and right. i thought when they said that i was like that's weird that doesn't look like pancake syrup <laughs> to to uh red yeah <laughs> all right uh final thoughts on die hard with a vengeance jude what do you got for final thoughts it's a it's a good little flick right on <laughs> good little flick <laughs> matt vader how about you uh, another another fun movie i i enjoyed it thoroughly right on and um you know it's got sam jackson and jeremy irons and yeah. bruce willis can't go wrong there yeah and, uh, it was fun right on i give it time. three out of four riddles or nice. three out of five riddles I, th- I think three out of five is really yeah. Oh, this is like a four and a half out of five. For I mean, me. I, it, it, you, it goes one, three, two for me as well. Okay, as far as these movies go, fair enough. I really wish they had called this a Die Hard three, Die Hard with a Vengeance here. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just for consistency's sake. <laughs> the er. He's adding an er to the end of it as because it was Die Harder. Oh, and then okay. die. It doesn't make any sense. It's a chaos joke. Die harder with more of a vengeance. There you go. It should have just been better. die hardest. Die, die hardest. hardest. That would have been good. That's good. Die hard. Uh, try harder. Yeah, I yeah. give this a four and a half out of five. <laughs> I think it's fantastic, and it's it's right. Like when I say it's better than the first one, I'm, it's not by much. It's just by they're both like right there for me. You uh, like this one better than Die Hard? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's mostly because of just 
how complicated everything is, but also how they all made it all work. Like that's, I like, said. that's like saying Jedi is better than Empire. <laughs> no, no, that is not at all what it, that's it, like. It is. It's exactly what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Vader thrown down the gauntlet. <laughs> Mom, Dad, please don't fight. All right, <laughs> all right guys, that's well, it for hey, today's what podcast. About, what about me? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we know you like it. Yeah, go ahead. What Final thoughts. You? Final thoughts on uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Katie. Yeah, so, so I'm with Vader and Jude on this. It goes one, three, two for me. Um, and I would give this one three and a half stars. Um, it's definitely one of the stronger entries in the, in the entire franchise, um, but it does not beat the first one. Hmm. All right. I guess I'm dying on this hill. I didn't know we were adding half stars. Oh, do you want to change your number? No, I'm fine. I okay. Just, I would like to be informed. The, I would like to be Alex informed. Alex literally next said time. four and a half stars. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I, I I was the first one to add half stars. No, I know. I'm just saying, like you guys seem to have talked about it earlier today. No, we're just on the same wavelength, I guess. Oh, what about, that, what about, side of, that side of the table. Yeah, is that's linked the side up. of the table. This side of the table is linked up too. <laughs> what about three quarter stars? <laughs> no, or quarters. Seems a bit excessive. Come work. on, Vader. <laughs> if there's if there's five, an addition of a quarter stars. star, I would like for there to be an email about it. Okay. I'll, yeah. <laughs> so if you have half stars, you're basically using the scale of one to ten, right? Yeah. Oh. And if you use quarter stars. You're one to twenty. Is that right? Yeah. Vader with the math. Yeah, Vader with the math. <laughs> okay. That never happens. <laughs> he can barely read. <laughs> That's not true. He can read. He just chooses not to. That's right. It's boring. <laughs> no one really knows. Can't see anything. <laughs> I need pictures, man. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, go to SaltyNerdClub.com and join our Patreon and help support us making awesome content for you and get exclusive content like pictures and podcasts and blooper reels and all kinds of cool stuff. Also, you can go and buy some merch at SaltyNerdStore.com. And if you just want to buy us a van, that's fine, too. Jude really wants a van, guys. <laughs> What's with the van? I don't know. But It'll don't... be so cool. We'll get jackets. I don't even like vans. Jackets, too? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like the mystery machine. Yeah, only, not only with the salty nerd brain. Yeah. Only weirdos yeah. drive Have around the in dog. Vans. We'll give them Scooby snacks. We'll solve mysteries. We'll solve mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. You heard it here first. Join the Patreon to buy Judah Van. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want a van. Only weirdos and Mormons drive around in vans. <laughs> yeah. We'll solve mysteries like how could anyone not like Goonies? <sighs> All right, guys. Signing off around Let the table. <laughs> Jude, where can they find you on the socials? You can find me at I am Jude Juju on Instagram and Twitter. Right on. Thank you. And Matthew Kadish. Sorry. At Matthew Kadish, K-A-D-I-S-H, at Twitter and Parlor, and KadishBooks.com over on uh, Amazon. Where can they read your um, pitch for Die Hard? In this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to go steal that shit. Now. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, well, they've had plenty of time because I pitched that like decades ago back, <laughs> back when I lived in Hollywood. I, I, bet you, I bet you they'd buy it now. You should do it. I should. They heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah, there's my copyright. Uh, yeah, copyright <laughs> December 1st, 2020. I'm, I'm gonna go pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. Vader, where can they find you? Uh, at Matt Vader 74 on the places. Right on. What do you got going on? You're doing some Twitch stuff, right? Yeah, doing some Twitch stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, man. Okay. <laughs> Vader uh, never play, knows playing, what he's doing. Playing some World of Warcraft right now. <laughs> right on. All right, everybody. Have a great night. Talk to you later. Bye.